Hello from Burbank, California. Welcome back. Hope you had a nice holiday. If you are in the United States, thank you for joining us for yet another episode of Write That Down on the Fight Game Media Network. My name is Justin Nipper. I edit for FightGameMedia.com, staff writer WrestlingObserver.com. I work for Pro Wrestling Noah Cyber Fight Inc. And I'm back. Kind of back. Well, I'm back, but I'm not necessarily with Japan's leading pro wrestling author and historian and wrestling sociologist, broadcast journalist, Mr. Fumi Saito. Actually, this week, I'm going to deliver you a special episode. This week, if you're a Viking Media patron on Patreon.com, you might have heard these two episodes before, about a year and a half ago. But back in April 21, Fumi and I recorded a special series on Stan the Lariat Hansen. And so, for this week, I've combined both parts one and parts two from last year into this mega edition for you, a super episode on one of the best of all time. Someone I could probably watch or read about ad infinitum. Yes, that's right, Mr. Stan Hansen. We talked about everything. And since this is almost three hours long, we're going to jump right in. If you have not already, please subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network podcast feed. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple. Wherever you are downloading your podcasts at the moment, you can find Fight Game Media there. And if you hit the subscribe button in the app that you listen to the podcasts on, it would help us out very, very much. So if you haven't done that already, please do it. We'll be back next week. We'll have a brand new episode. And like I said, this is a long one. But it's informative. Sure is fun. Yeah. Only for you guys. All right, let's jump in. Stan the Lariat Hanson. Always I'm here with author, broadcaster, professor, because it's the new school year in Japan as of today. Mr. Fumi Saito, Professor Saito, how are you? <laughs> Hello from Tokyo. So do you start school this week? Uh, yeah, guidance this week and uh, regular class next week. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Paperwork. Yeah. Yeah, guidance. Is, this is weird because, you know, half the class is still online and you know, one third of the class, they're trying to have a regular course like with people. And my class is still online. And, and uh, it's like you have more work, you know, by doing that on, on your laptop, I guess. I think so. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, plus, yeah, April 1st is for you in America, April Fool, but uh, it's like a school year and calendar is different in Japan. And April 1st is like going back to school, you know, and right. it's just like April, you know, your September, first week of September, different feeling to it. Or the first day of work, you know, and uh, April 1st is kind of special feeling. And I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I had a weird day yesterday, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and also a lot of the businesses in Japan, the fiscal year for them ends March 31st. March so th 31st and starts April 1st. Yeah, they do that. That's why the whole country had this strange, strange mode. I mean, yesterday, so I, I decided to you know stay, stay at home and just, I ain't doing this kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Not part of that tradition, huh? Yeah. I, oh, I God. That. Yeah. So, okay, today, new, yes. new profile series. 
and a new yeah, wrestler. This is going to be a big one and the yeah. real educational, I believe. So we're going to talk about Stan the Lariat Hansen, Stan Hansen. Yep. Who is, would you say he's the most famous foreign wrestler in Japan? Arguably, arguably, because it's hard to say, you know, who is bigger, um, Hulk Hogan or Stan Hansen or Bruiser Brody or, or the Funks. Or you know, there are quite a you know quite a few huge huge American superstars. But all in all, Stan Hansen had spent more time in front of Japanese audience audience than ever you know than anybody else, and uh, and also he was one of the very few American superstars who had worked both under Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling and Giant Baba's Old Japan Pro Wrestling in his prime time, and out of twenty eight year. You know, wrestling career of Stan Hansen, he had spent 25 years full time in front of a Japanese audience. That's different, right? From, I think from, that's more than half of his career in in total. Was, yeah, was spent in Japan. Yeah. Oh, no, not not just more than half. It's like a 25 years out of 28 years of his career. So, Whew. so it's about what 80 percent, 85 percent, something like that. <laughs> Pretty Who much. Not that. A lot. He, not that he didn't have. You know, American career, but uh, he did have. But uh, he was one of those people who made this very, you know, important link in business. We'll get to that. You know, for instance, nine, you know, June twenty fifth, June twenty sixth of nineteen seventy six, there was Muhammad Ali against under the giant match. Historical, right? Mm -hmm. But in Shea Stadium in New York City, where they had this closed circuit movie from Tokyo beamed. You know, you'd be watching that big movie screen in in the center of Shea Stadium. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be watching Ali against Inoki. But the live audience came to see Stan Hansen against Bruno San Martino. So that was a night, too. So especially around that time, he was a, a worldwide uh, pro wrestling superstar. Yeah, he was having matches with Bruno San Martino. And there was the famous match where he inadvertently broke San Martino's neck. Yeah, that was the second match because uh, the reason Vince McMahon Sr. wanted to have uh, uh, Bruno San Martino against Stan Hansen match at that Muhammad Ali night was that I guess Vince McMahon Sr. was afraid that the people won't come and see. You know, you need a huge matchup for the live audience at the Shea Stadium. And previously, like four months before that, six months before that, Stan Hansen, Stan Hansen broke Bruno San Martino's neck during the Madison Square Garden match. He didn't really break his neck, though. It was a, actually, it's in, in the video footage. It's a very, very beginning of the match, like four minutes in, and the body slam slipped. You know, uh, it kind of, you know, they got sweaty and something happened. And Stan Hansen's body slam, uh, uh, somewhat, somehow, Bruno San Martino was dropped him from his head and broke his neck in two places, but he did get up and finish the match. And old old fashioned promoter Vince McMahon Sr. decided to make angle, story storyline out of it. You know, yes, Stan the Lariat Hansen broke living legend Bruno San Martino's neck with his Lariat. And the big comeback match will be on on June twenty fifth at the Shea Stadium. So it was a huge main event for that night. Now the neck injury the neck angle all of that uh what vince mcmahon kind of spun after the injury happened did that carry over to the japanese scene yes yes 
Yeah. Actually, all right, where do I start from Stan Hansen? Such a huge, big star and unique superstar that he works like heel but got over like babyface. Mm. And he's the most famous American cowboy in Japan, right? And uh, he um, actually, there's a lot of stories of his own that, that has a strong link to Japanese wrestlers and Japanese wrestling scene. See, uh, most wrestling fans remember Stan Hansen as All Japan Superstar, right? Right. But he had New Japan run, strong run against Inoki's big, Anthony Inoki's biggest rival for three years before that. And the very first, very, very first tour he had with Japan was all, with All Japan, actually. Stan Hansen debuted in wrestling January 1st, of 1973 in El Paso, El, El Paso. Oh my God, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the January 1st, 1973. So he remembers it very well. And 75, you know, like a second, second, third year rookie, he made one tour with All Japan Pro Wrestling when he was rookie. You know, people, he was not on top of the, you know, the tour. The tours like, uh, with with people like Abdul the Butcher, Ox Baker, uh, then rookie Larry Zabisco, or, or people like Bobby Jaggers. And most people thought Bobby Jaggers was better than Stan Hansen at the time, you know? Hmm. Bobby Jaggers was, uh, I, rem- I think he wrestled in Portland as well. He was a pretty... Yeah, uh- yeah. Smooth, technical-ish type of wrestler, whereas Stan Hansen was a pretty new, big, burly football player type at the time. Yeah, but at the time, they looked similar. You know, Mm. big guy, not a bodybuilder type, but not fat, but just big. Mm. And uh, and Similar hair, kind of long blonde hair. Similar hair and almost chubby. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and cowboy nature to it. And uh, yeah. So you never know, you know, because while if you were watching that tour as a kid back in 75, you know, Stan Hansen and Bobby Jergers were just about the same in, in ability and talent. And it's like, look what happened years later. You know, it's like Stan Hansen's like so much bigger and so, so important in, in Japanese wrestling history. But uh, uh, what I'm trying to get to is uh, that he did come to Japan. Um, he had a first tour with All Japan, you know, when he was really rookie, you know. And uh, then that was 1975, okay? Then 1976, he went, he was booked to New York, you know, Vince McMahon Sr.'s WWF. See, if, do you remember if, um, um, see, if the champion was Bruno Sammartino or Bob Backlund or somebody, you know, the strong long long running baby face champion they have regular new challenger three months at a time huh remember yeah and there you would know, always be like a, a series yeah. of uh challengers who probably weren't going to beat the champion at the time but that was the wwf style wasn't it the formula yeah because the first meeting this new challenger will probably beat the champion by count out or something you know mm. to establish that he's a worthy opponent you know then get really almost like a bloody second match in. Then third match, you know, third month in Madison Square Garden, you climax that thing. 
then go on the road show to go to Baltimore, the Washington DC, the Philadelphia, the, you know, the same lineup, but uh, you go on the road, you know? And uh, Stan Hansen was chosen to become Bruno San Martino's new part, uh, the, the single challenger in 1976. And this was bef- this was after the injury no, no, this is this happened during this run. Oh, okay. So yeah, so they were paired up. They were having a program yeah, together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or they won't have Madison Square Garden single match. No. Uh, this was also Bruno San Martino's kind of second run. Yes, yes. Oh, definitely, definitely. So the, he's uh, almost not the was, early sixty one, but the, this time he beat Stan Stasiak to become second you know, to the second reign mm-hmm. until he was beat by. Superstar Billy Graham in 78. Yeah. 77. I'm sorry. Yeah. So that was uh, Bruno was kind of on his, uh, he was in the twilight of his career. And he, Bruno San Martino was but also still champion, still champion, still champion. And he was also, speaking of Japan, he would work for Giant Baba and he would only work for Giant Baba. Oh, only work for, yeah, right. Which um, at the time, so if, Stan Hansen was working with WWF at the time, WWF at the time. So he was allowed to work with All Japan. That was before the deal before. with New Japan. I see. Before he, he was booked to WWE in New York City. He was like, when you go to WWE, WWF, you become your like prime time, you know, like you go to New York and go work in Madison Square Garden. You have WWE run. Then go to other territories as a top talent after that. So this was his very first break, big break. And it was only a few years after he had debuted, so... Right, so he was uh, actually a very promising big rookie, you know? Yeah. And uh, before he wrestled, I know that he played football, so his stamina and his size together was pretty... You don't see that often. I guess we have to sidetrack for five minutes that uh, his background... Uh, this is another very unique wrestling story. It's a big wrestling tale. If you know anything at all about West Texas State University, West Texas State University in Amarillo, Texas, everybody you know attended. Now it's called West Texas A N W University, you know, Agricultural University. Mm-hmm. But at the time, uh, in in sixties and seventies, they were called West Texas State University. So many people attended. Dory Funk Jr., Terry Funk, Cowboy, you know, Bob Duncan, Dusty Rhodes, Dick Murdoch, a little bit, you know, he Tito Santana, Manny Fernandez, young Ted DiBiase, Tali Blanchard, real young Barry Windham, uh, real puppy young, young blood brothers. They all went to the school. Is that strange? Something? Pretty amazing uh, lineup of. I guess we call pro them legends wrestlers. now. Yeah, yeah, Successful yeah. Successful pro all, wrestlers, and and they all are in the you know West Texas Uni- you know, State University football team, you know, one time or another. Yeah. So, and that yeah. that's where Stan Hansen came from. So he was already kind of, uh, he, oh, and but he was he went to school or he was on the same team as Bruiser Brody, wasn't he? Yes, yes. Stan Bruiser Brody, actually Dusty Rhodes too. Yeah. Wow, Somebody what a football team. Tito Santana. Manny Fernandez, you know? Yeah, and uh, years later, Tali Blanchard came in and did, you know, did the quarterback. Ted DiBiase worked, you know, full-time as, as a team, you know. Barry Windham came in and played. And just all these guys were going to be pro wrestler anyhow. But the, what's interesting was, though, 
when Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody was attending school, school there, Dory Funk and Terry Funk still had Amarillo territory. They had wrestling shows locally. Mm-hmm. All those guys, like young college jock, beer drinking, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, they, they all came in to watch Terry Funk's match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they became friends. And then a lot of them wanted to be wrestlers, you know. But at the time, um, as big as they were and as promising rookie they can be, uh, the 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 funks were still um, old-fashioned type, you know, promoter. They're great guys, football players. If they want to be wrestlers, great. But they didn't want everybody to become wrestlers. And everybody knows the secret of the business or something, you know. So actually, Dusty Rose never was trained by the funks. He went to someplace else and got trained and became wrestler, you know. Bruiser Brody was never trained by um, the funks. Instead, he was trained under Fritz von Erich in Dallas, Bronk Rubik, you know. And uh, so uh, not everybody who attended West Texas State University went through the funks dojo but eventually you know they came back to texas and worked yeah all of these guys seem to have crossed paths either at wax texas or in japan or in the states somewhere um yeah this this click it's almost like the the minnesota crew later in the 80s yeah like road warriors and their friends yeah mm-hmm. oh, it's very similar kind of uh it must be something in the water and also the big football players, uh, like a lot of times they're like uh, closet wrestling fans and uh, I want to do this, you know? <laughs> right. And uh, Stan was a fan too, wasn't he? He would, yeah, like you said, yeah. he would go to the funk shows and... Uh... And also people told, was telling him, you remind, you know, the people thought, you know, Stan reminded him, you know, of them of Terry, Terry Funk, you know? In what ways? Oh, just going, running around crazy and doing mm. things. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Uh, unpredictable. Unpredictable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Very much so. When Stan Hansen started wrestling around this time in, seven, in the... 73. Sev- 73. Uh, it was also a time where the style was uh, different and the way of training was different too. Where, And according to his book, he Stan Hansen was never uh, too... Uh, meticulously trained too properly trained they just had him go in and 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 wrestle and do do what he does and that style i think turned out to be what made stan hansen so famous especially in japan was that unpredictable um just go in there and 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 do it kind of style and also can you okay picture that in your head what if stan hansen really clean cut lock up you know Collar and elbow tie up into your side headlock, to your hammerlock, into your uh, whatnot. You know, that's not him. It's very strange even to think about. He, he will run into the ring and run into you with big shoulder block instead, right? Mm. Yeah. But that's, it's good that the, um, the, the funks didn't really teach, you know, they, they taught him, no, but the, they taught him, but it's not like you have to work like everybody else. They showed the the kind of basic framework, and he was allowed to you know do his thing eventually. Yeah, that Terry Funk always told me the, the same thing too. That uh, you, your wrestling character is extension of your real self. You know, mm. you can't try to be somebody you are not. You know, so focus and, and be yourself, and see what happens, kind of thing. 
anyhow that so he started in january of january 1st of 1973 in el paso el paso texas yeah el paso texas it's a smaller you know you know the town but it's is there wrestling when you hear el paso now it's like eddie guerrero's hometown the guerreros that's yeah 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 but it's a it's like a such a tex-mex you know it's a it's it's not a big city you know but there was wrestling you know every night around that you know and it was just good old territory days kind of thing you know and well today's fans you know you have to you know today's fans mostly don't know much about what the heck these territories are you know there was good 20 25 you know healthy wrestling country and companies in america and they were all coexisting right right at the time yeah anyhow so stan started and there's another story that we have to add his later on big rival jumbo tsurura ah okay jumbo tsurura went to 1972 munich olympic Mm -hmm. okay when he was senior in, in college and right you know before he graduated from college he had a press conference that uh, he, he will start working in for giant Baba's all Japan pro wrestling. And I'll become professional wrestler. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was the uh, summer. I mean that right after Munich Olympic in 72 Jumbo did not debut in Japan. Baba sent Jumbo Tsura to Amarillo, Texas before his Japan debut and had him debut in America get trained and debut and spend eight to 10 months in America before he came back to Japan, you know, because he's, he debuted as headliner. Anyhow, that the very much rookie year, first, very first year, Jumbo Tsuru spent one whole, like a 10 months, uh, almost a year in Amarillo. Stan was there. So they really came up at the same time. Yeah, and also they um, they were living in the same apartment complex, and they were sharing, you know, these bags of ramen noodle like college students. Hmm. Yeah, the yeah, what a story that is. Is that good though? And one yeah, one more person, one more person who was in the same apartment, train, travel together, rent a car together, and get a you know cheap motel room together, and travel, train, eat, wrestle, and like brothers. Bob Backlund. So Stan Hansen, Jumbo Tsuda, and Bob Backlund were all in Amarillo, Texas in, in the very beginning of 1973. They, they spent time. And later on, later on, they all became champions. And became pretty popular in Japan, too. That too, yeah. But not just the local champion or some kind of, you know, any wrestling championship, but the, what Bob Backlund was, w, you know, WWF champion before Hulk Hogan era, Stan Hansen, worldwide champion, and Jumbo Tsuda, one of the biggest superstars of the 80s and 90s. You know, they all, they, they all had rookie years together. So I think it's very important, you know. Yeah, they all became top guys. Yeah, yeah, not just famous, but the very much top of the business. Yeah, so and I all think are it's very important. different too. Oh yeah, I guess so. But you know what? What's interesting is though, Stan was born in 1949, right? Mm-hmm. And Bob Backlund's also 1949, and Jumbo is 1951. You know, and so a couple Stan's a couple years older than you know Jumbo, 
And actually, see, we, we always kind of tend to think Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody is about the same age, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, Brody was actually three years older than Stan, you know? He's like a big brother. Yeah, in the football team, senior and, and, and a sophomore or something. It's like you are in a different league, right? Right. So in the West Texas State University football team, Bruiser Brody was actually a bigger star than uh, Stan at the time. You know, it was interesting. You know, and they don't, they don't, they don't, they wouldn't cross paths until like seventy six, seventy seven in Dallas. And somebody from Dallas, you know, when after Amarillo and Florida run, Stan Hansen, like a third year, fourth year rookie between WWE tour, um, he had uh, he he came to Dallas and worked. You know, Stan worked for Fritz von Eric for a while. And he was introduced. You know, actually, there's a rookie guy that who's I think he's a friend of yours from you know from college. Oh yeah, who is that? And then, then Stan Hansen and Bruce Brody met in in a data sportatorium dressing room. And said, oh wow, wow, it's been a while. And then they met again. And uh, what? Uh, see, Bruce Brody was famous for being a really crazy guy in college too. You know, he um, he chopped up very famous trees on something in in the college campus. And also, yeah, he broke a lot of things in college, and he got kicked out. And uh, he was a he was famous being crazy guy. But when Stan and Brody met again as a wrestler, I believe sometimes in in seventy five or seventy six, um, Brody Brody told Stan to you know to kind of keep it quiet, you know, because he's he's kayfabing it, meaning that he's being quiet until he learns it. Uh, don't <laughs> don't like, ruin it. Don't blow up his spot. Yeah. So Stan was Stan was like, oh, okay, okay. Brody had his plan as a rookie already. <laughs> yeah, he was ready to fool the world. Both Brody and Hanson seemed to really have a a solid kind of plan for what they wanted out of pro wrestling at the time. I think that uh, was built that the whole mindset and mentality was built when Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody were together being a tag team uh, for one year at the Bill Watts territory. Remember? I believe Ah. it was like 75. Yeah. They were Louisiana's Mid-South Wrestling Alliance Association. I don't remember. Mid-South, right? Bill Watts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, and what what else? Such such, uh, deep, deep South, huh? Mm Mm-hmm. These rookies, Stan Hansen, uh, Bruiser, Bruiser Brody. Oh, he was already Bruiser Brody, so he must have been after, after WWE then. See, what's interesting is, though, Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody both worked for WWE before be- they were actually famous. Right. Stan Hansen against Bruiser, um, Bruno San Martino program. Um, Bruiser Brody against Bruno San Martino program. As, as a bro and uh, San Martino being champion, and that was when Bruiser Frank Frank Grish was named Bruiser Brody. He was the name was given by Vince McMahon Senior, you know. But uh, after that WWE run, they all came back. Um, Stan and Brody met again in Louisiana and became tag team. And Stan Hansen had two two sets of uh, cowboy hats, so he gave one to Brody. You know, so they both have cowboy hat, right? So they can look like a team. They never had matching pair tights. They never had matching pair wrestling boots. They never even had matching anything, you know. 
But uh, Stan thought, all right, let's wear a cowboy hat. That can make us look like a team. And uh, they both had team, you know, cowboy hat, if you remember the old photo, you know. Yeah. And that was the first kind of, uh, that's what they really started to become this, not just a team, but yeah. a, a force. Yeah. And then also Stan told me once that really shaped um, Frank Goodish's mentality towards promoter. See, at the time, Stan and 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 Brody were, you know, tag team champions in territory, U.S. tag team champions, but they were still rookie. And Bill Watts and his people are making fun of all stupid college football players, and they were make you know they were paying them like three hundred a week, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they weren't making too much money, and I I don't know. Oh if the, no! This was also when I, Stan Hansen was a teacher at the time, I think too. I don't know if he still uh, was teaching at this time, but he first. Yeah, was, but the school teach you you'll still be making a lot of money, you know, with wrestling more more money than a school teacher. Right, know? right, but at but, this time, not yet. Not, yeah, right. But uh, even with this three hundred dollars a week. And paying for your own, you know, hotel room, and paying for your hotel, and paying for your rental car and gas, and how much can you save? But Stan Hansen, Bruce Brody, rookie, very bitter, bitter rookie towards you know the promoter Bill Watts that that I will be saving some money this week, you know, and then it's like this is how they are going to treat the promoters, you know, and uh, they really built up built this independent wrestler's philosophy around that time period. Never give inch is what Stan Hansen would say. Never give an inch. Yeah, that's what there's yeah, exact word. Yes. So but they were friends, you know, and uh, they're friends, you know, they're both promising rookie and that's not traditional, but uh, they were aimed to be the top main event guy. And he, they just, they just had to find out how, you know, and uh, yeah, with that money, you know, uh, the, the Bill Watts and the, their bookers, you know, Jake, you know, Jake the Snake's father, all those people are laughing at them, right? The stupid college football players, you know, they, oh, they'll be gone soon. No, it's like, no, I'm going to learn the craft and I'm going to look back and say, you know, they'll be sorry. So that, that they were wrestlers and not a promoters, you know, and that they, you know, they were, you know, trying to find a way to become the top performers, which they became later on, right? Mm. Maybe not in the uh, way the, they expected, but definitely they became top performers of that time. Yeah, and then also not by kissing up, you know, but right. by performing and become somebody worthy and become somebody important. And become somebody that you know all your peers will respect. That's what Stan Hansen's all about. That's what Bruce Brody's about. Don't you think? I think so. They were focused on becoming the main attractions to make the business that much better. Yeah, and then also what's amazing if you know if you look back and I mean think about the today's standard, those were the independent big heavyweight professional wrestlers, rather rookie, right? But they were the ones telling promoters, say, I ain't doing it. I very mean, like, different. Very different. Very so different, yeah. I learned something. Wrestlers can say no to your finish. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah, if you're worthy, they have to come up with something else. And, you know uh, what I'm saying? So that will play in later in Stan's career because, I mean, he's the one who really brought the lariat, the move the lariat to, to popularity 
throughout the world, but we we're not there yet. We we're back at the seventy five or seventy six. Right, but the one thing we we have to you know that make sure that we know at this point is that that uh, Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody were two wrestlers, American wrestlers, who did really did one to three in the middle of the ring job. Remember, almost I, never, almost never, huh? I'm trying to think. I, I can't think of many times Stan Hansen has been pinned. And if he was, he, I remember he'd lose tag team matches like in a match with Giant Baba and Stan Hansen when they were a tag team, but Giant Baba would take the uh, pin. It was always, he, he always stayed protected. Oh, God. Yeah, Brody, too. Yeah. And also, nobody got, you know, got up from the Teleria encounter, too. When he uses it, it's finished. You know? Mm-hmm. The same way Bruiser Brody's King Kong running knee drop, mm-hmm. when he uses it, that's finished. Nobody will kick out at the counter too. If it's finished, he ain't using it. <laughs> now, I, I know it's kind of fast forwarding a little bit, but I'm interested in, in this topic when it comes to Stan Hansen's match with Antonio Inoki. Mm. Because Inoki is another person who you could also say he's the type. Rarely does job. Rarely does jobs and <laughs> not doesn't really give an inch, so to speak, either. So kind of not similar personalities, yeah, but, but clashing. Yeah, it could be, could be because um, if there was no Giant Baba, there's no Gian, uh, Antonio Inoki. Right. See, Ricky Dozan played favorite, you know. Ricky Dozan always placed Giant Baba way ahead of, you know, Antonio Inoki or anybody else. For Ricky Dozan, Giant Baba was his, 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 his appearance. Uh, just he was going to be the next guy, you know. And Inoki was carrying Ricky Dozen's suitcase for seven years, six years, you know. And uh, yeah, that was interesting that, that the Inoki would say when he become promoter or top main event guy or whomever who can produce this thing, he's doing it his way, you know. So we're dealing with a lot of independent souls, a lot of independent spirits at this time, especially with Brody and Hansen. And so by 1970. Yeah, hmm. 76. Uh, what was interesting, the same day, Antonio Inoki, Muhammad Ali fight from Tokyo. It's uh, broadcasted into America. As a, uh, before pay-per-view, it was a closed circuit at the movie theaters and other places, 100, 150 locations in, all through America. And in New York City, there was a Shea Stadium live card, and the live main event was two matches. Stan Hansen against Bruiser Brody's, you know, San Martino's Revenge. And also Andre the Giant against Chuck Webner, remember? Mm, the yeah. uh, the real Rocky, real Rocky, right? So that was that. Became, the Shea Stadium show became huge. That made, of course, that the, the Bruno San Martino will, will come out as a winner, the count out winning, but the uh, the revenge, you know, successfully, you know, made, you know, but uh, that made Stan Hansen that much bigger as a star in in WWE area too. And nine, January of 1977, all through 90, uh, 1976, Stan Hansen remained in WWE and you know had a second round matchup against Bruno San Martino, and he was uh, he was uh, in the top cluster of WWF at the time. Okay, and this Stan's WWF run will bring him into New Japan as a top star. So when did he stop working 
with WWF uh, around this time. So it was after the Bruno Sammartino uh, stadium match. The thing is, though, uh, Vince McMahon Sr. is WWF and Anthony Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling had a partnership, you know, partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh, between 75 to 85, like about 10-year period, you know. And Vince McMahon, today's been Vince McMahon stopped it. But anyhow, uh, during this, you know, uh, Stan Hansen's New Japan run, he went back to um, WWE occasionally and had a match like Bob Backlund against Stan Hansen. Okay, so and, one-off, special matches. Uh, or, or when New Japan had, you know, sent a whole bunch of, you know, wrestlers, Inoki, Sakaguchi, Fujinami, Riki Choshu, uh, the, that time period that this, uh, Stan Hansen occasionally still worked for WWF. Yeah. It was a different period. So it's not like what we're used to now. If somebody's in WWF, like Shinsuke Nakamura is only in WWF or WWE. Right, right. It's different time. So he would show up sometimes. Right. It was like uh, wrestlers had a 90 day turnaround contract with Vince McMahon Sr. So you, you know, like uh, rotate, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like a Sergeant Slada worked WWE, but he always go back to NW Crockett too, you know? Mm-hmm. Remember? That that time period. And pretty much basically uh, full-time status, Stan Hansen had run with New Japan, 77, 78, 79, 80. Yeah, 77, 78, 79, 80. Yeah, good four-year period. He was top New Japan superstar, Stan, the new Stan Hansen, who broke uh, Bruno San Martino's, San Martino's neck. And this was during the time uh, he had famous Under the Giant single match, or he had uh, the, the Hansen, Hulk Hogan tag team, Stan Hansen, um, Dick Murdoch tag team, uh, Stan Hansen, Mass Superstar tag team. Um, yeah. He had a pretty, pretty much full-time schedules with New Japan, and he had a single-match program against An- Antonio Inoki's NWF titles. If anybody not familiar with NWF championship, it was a singles world heavyweight title before IWGP. Mm-hmm. Brought over by Johnny Powers. Right, from, uh, right. Ohio, Ohio, Ohio. Ohio company, but uh, it was important in seventies that that the championship was brought in actually from America, you know, the, the title that existed in somewhere else instead of creating it in Japan. See, people believed it. It has to come from America. That the title has to actually exist. So Johnny Powers at the time was, you know, his old friend, right, was a perfect champion to bring in existing world heavyweight title from America and actually losing it and leave it in Japan, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But the NW. KF was a huge deal. And 1980, February of 1980, Stan Hansen beat Anthony Inoki for the first time to win the championship. You know how hard it is, you know, for anybody to beat Anthony Inoki in 1980? I don't think he lost for another seven years after that. I think it was not- <laughs> right, something like that. I think it and was- he wasn't even a pinfall. It was a count out. Mm. He still wouldn't do the one, two, three. <laughs> oh, right. No, it, it was actually, it was a couple of years later with Hogan. And again, it was a count out. Right. So, so it's like, a, get one, two, three in the middle of the ring from Inoki is such a, such a huge deal, right? Yeah. 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 But Stan Hansen became big enough superstar, hindsight, that he was big enough superstar 
that Inoki would let him be the champion. So by this time, the Japanese crowd really had come to accept him and start to really love him, even though, like you said, he wasn't a baby face. He wasn't a heel. He was just Stan Hansen. Oh, God. Yeah. And also he was just big guy, you know, to come in and do the running shoulder block to heavy knee drop to punch, kick, stomps, (laughs) you know, not big about wrestling techniques, but this guy is convincing, like tremendously strong and uh, no gimmick. He just come in and wins. And I feel like I have to put it in more context because of how big he was and knowing that the average size of a Japanese person is not even close to uh, Stan Hansen's <laughs> yeah. size. So especially back then, the early 80s, would it be fair to say that a lot of fans in the crowd might not have even seen a foreign person in their life before and the first one they might see is somebody like Stan Hansen doing what he does? Uh, but the, traditionally, we had, the, the Japanese television always had American dramas. I mean, before. in person, in person. Yeah, like oh, a, probably. So that must have one, been uh, exciting or, or different or thrilling in some sense because um, Stan Hansen is a larger-than-life character. Yeah, yeah. And also, I have, I kind of remember that it was like people were kind of like uh, looking for closure to Antonio Inoki, Tiger Jeet Singh story all mm-hmm. through 70s, right? The, uh, and when Stan Hansen came in, he surpassed Tiger Jeet Singh as an athlete, you know? Yeah. Because. Tiger Jeet Singh always fought dirty, cheer shots, you know, the sores, the bloody match, the foreign object, the all the all kinds of things, right? Mm-hmm. Stan Hansen did none of that, you know? He just come in with his own body and he does what he does. And he's so convincing, you know? And uh, something about him likable, though, heel. But uh, something about him likable, I don't know why. Do you think it was when he had his matches with Andre the Giant? Is that when people started to turn the corner on him? Yeah, that too. But uh, all these Antonio Inoki single match program that uh, most Inoki believers in Japan, that uh, in, in the Japanese wrestling fans in 70s and you know, 80s, a lot of people actually believe Inoki was the best, best in the world, right? People really believed it, though, you know. And as a kid, I was, you know, Inoki's fan, too. And he was the greatest. Anyhow, that uh, so it was good to have opponent like Stan Hansen, who is genuinely a great athlete, big guy, football uh, and wrestling background. And he no mic, no promo, no storyline. He just get in the ring and have just killer matches week after week after week after week. And, and it's like people go, I like this guy. And he probably like in, in the late 70s into 80s, Terry Funk was your favorite cowboy, right? Mm-hmm. But Stan's bigger than bigger and younger, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's different. He ended up being quite different because of his size. Yeah. I mean, his size and, and his... also in the midst of his popularity, Terry Funk had his first retirement in some of 1981. That helped too, you know? Right. right. Yeah, Stan Hansen's era. Yeah. Still, so Stan is he so he's in New Japan for the four the, years? The main, yeah, New Japan made him superstar. That's when they had, you know, uh, 
New Japan had partnership with Vince McMahon Senior's WWE, right? Mm-hmm. Or when you think about okay, look, 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 some name names in 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 nineteen eighty one. 1981, some tour, you know, New Japan tour. Stan Hansen, Hulk Hogan, Dusty Rhodes, Roland Bach from Europe, Under mm-hmm. the Giant, Dick Murdoch, Bad News Allen, Rene Goulet, Pat Patterson, you know, Shika Afa. It's like, wow, it's like a, the, the entire WWE crew came or something, right? It was a big crew. Yeah, yeah. And who was the boss? It's not a Dusty Rose. Dusty Rose probably bigger name in America, but uh, Dusty Rose in Japan was always kind of a guest, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he was a big, huge name, you know. But he doesn't come in that often, you know. Maybe once or twice, maybe once a year. But for Stan, he would be in next tour, the, the back to back to back to back every tour. You'll be watching Stan Hansen, and people never got sick of him, you know. No, I, he never I, really repeated himself in the ring. He never. Um... There's some wrestlers, and it works for them. They they do what they do. Like Ric Flair. Ric Flair has what he does. He has the Same. Ric Flair match. It's, if you see Ric Flair's match once, you've seen it all, right? But he's so good that it works. Of course, of course. But Stan Hansen was not like that. He Always was, different. Yeah. He, every match started a different way. Uh, sometimes it would start outside the ring. Sometimes it would start, he would run at them before the bell or after the bell. It was always unexpected or spontaneous. Yeah, and no fancy moves. No, probably one or two suplexes. Just uh, nonstop I can't moving say, motion. Yeah, not Stan Hansen's not doing German suplex or anything like that. You know? No, yeah. no, he he's just moving, moving. He's twenty minutes into the match, you see him still somehow uh, running around the ring. I mean, he's not the fastest guy in the world. I'm not saying that, but um, even for the time, oh, not even fancy looking. Mm-mm. Yeah, just athletic. It looked like and, he was a real powerful it's guy. Very believable. Very believable. And the one of the most believable guy, right? Yeah, because he was consistent. Yeah. He was. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, even as he got older uh, in his uh, last years in the nineties, he was still one of the top wrestlers in the world, arguably. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So, so, so but when you say when you say when you say a big wrestler, you know, I mean, good wrestlers, not exactly technically sound you know wrestling wrestler you know but, no uh, he, he's not like uh okada or something or or you know he's he's not it's not about that it's or, or the malenkos you know oh for, right right or yeah. even more yeah like a, a very technical uh technically sound wrestler uh like dean malenko yeah. no he wasn't not doing like that, that at all power power and action yeah, yeah. but also he was yeah. different from brody so, too that Right, right. More, yeah, it's like, that's why they were both stars. It's, uh, I can say, it's uh, vinyl records, you know, side A and side B. And uh, Stan was like a sun, sunshine sun. And Brody was like a moon, cold moon. Yeah, type of, it's night and day, kind of different. Yeah, I can see, okay, I can. Stan. Yeah, I see that. Yeah, really bright. Yeah, sunshine to a moonlight. You know, to something bright and hot, to something blue and cold. You know, and uh, it's not to say which is better, but uh, that's how different Brody and Stan was. You know, they were. I feel like the that one great thing. Team, no? Oh yeah, and I think the one thing you could always count on is, uh, like you said, that because of the difference, the differences is, is there, but it's not 
too drastic and it just led to always those two having exciting matches or interesting and different matches and believable matches too. And not to say, I and mean, reading or yeah, and reading oriented, reading oriented Japanese wrestling fans, you know, they always new story about Stan Hansen and Jumbo Tsura's rookie year. They always knew Bruce Brody and Stan Hansen's rookie year as a tag team. Um, they always, you know, Japanese fans always read about Stan Hansen and Bru- you know Bruno San Martino's breaking neck stories. Then Stan Hansen as a superstar came to New Japan and challenged Inoki. It's like step by step, every Japanese fan kind of followed what Stan Hansen was going to do, you know, this end of 70s into the 1980s. And during 1980 and 1981, there was a big, huge promotional war between Antonio Inoki's New Japan and Giant Baba's All Japan Pro Wrestling. It's 1980. Um, 1981 is very important year for all Japan and New Japan. Um, first, New Japan stole. Uh, they stole Abdullah the Butcher from all Japan. They signed him away. That's where it really started. La- yeah, and then one month later, in July of 1981, Jan Baba decided to steal Taiga Jitsu Singh from New Japan. They stole it, you know? Mm-hmm. Then Kim Dak, Taiga Chan Lee, Dick Murdoch from all Japan, when went to New Japan and Chavo Guerrero and a couple other guys went to from New Japan to all Japan. And there's like a five or six, seven, you know, top names, you know, they, they just went back and forth. And the very end of 1981, who would, you know, would be the last big name, huge name to switch side, like, a, you know, jumping over the fence kind of thing, right? Stan Hansen shows up the very end of last day of tag team tournament at Sumo Palace, uh, Kuramai Kokugikan, the very last day. Stan Hansen shows up with his street clothes, with his cowboy hat. The main event was Tori, Terry, the Funks against Bruiser Brody and Jimmy Snuka. Yeah, then Stan Hansen joined. That was a huge deal. Uh, so Brody was, okay, Brody was in New Japan at this point, or All Japan at this point. All too. Japan, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody had a three-year run from that point. Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen against the Funks so many times. And the Funks was the biggest, biggest le- American legend until that time period. And Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody clearly beat them. Yeah. That was Very huge. definitive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, they are the new generation of the biggest American superstars. And physically bigger, a little bit younger. Yeah. Not that much younger, younger though, actually. Bruiser Burrow is only four years younger than Terry Funk. You know? Oh, wow. So, the, yeah, they're in the same ballpark. They could be in the same school. Yeah, yeah. And actually, Terry Funk and Bruiser Brody were friends in Amarillo. <laughs> it's funny, yeah. yeah. Just like uh, like we were saying earlier, it's that crew, just like the Minnesota crew, they found themselves in the same places all over the world together. Yeah, uh, the wrestlers from Tampa too, though. Tampa? That's right. Okay, yes. Tampa, yeah. Tampa crew. So many. Hogan. Yeah. Yeah. And Minnesota crew, Tampa crew, yeah. Dick Slater. And there was and... so many wrestlers came out of Calgary too, so. Yeah, they're almost like teams. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because there was a wrestling school, there was a coach, there was old-fashioned promoters, and a lot of times family business wrestlers move 
They go into their dojo, they get trained, and then they get started. So there is quite a few places. But before Road Warrior era, era Vern Gagne's camp had a lot of wrestlers, you know, debuted there too. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, the Stan Hansen clearly came out of Funk Wrestling Academy, and he beat the teachers. So that Japanese wrestling fans love that kind of story too. And this is also where where they had a great rivalry with the Funks in all Japan. But Hanson and Brody also began a new rivalry with uh, old faces with Jumbo Tsuda and Genichiro Tenryu. Yeah, yeah. Around this time too, Jum- so- Jumbo and Tenryu are still together, and Tenryu still being babyface. Clearly, number two or three, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had the top foreigners against the top Japanese talent, uh, which made for pretty exciting content. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was the big move that uh, Stan Hansen, after he, you know, est- he establishing himself as a super, super huge superstar against Anthony Inoki for Channel 10's New Japan Pro Wrestling TV show for three, four years. Then he switched side, and all of a sudden, every single match Stan had became dream matches. You know, Stan Hansen against Jan Baba single match, Stan Hansen against Jumbo Tsuda single match, um, things like. Terry Funk against Stans and, you know, Dory Funk against Stans. They all became dream matches. Yeah. So at around the time when Stan Hansen was in all Japan, when he first got there in the early eighties, was he wrestling more of tag team matches or was he wrestling in singles yet? Uh, yeah, it's the same. Cause new Japan believer always felt that the, he, that the stands is not going to do the same thing with all Japan ring because the wrestlers, all Japan wrestling, the wrestlers are not as tough as New Japan wrestlers. You know, New Japan believers are like that, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Inoki is so much better than Baba kind of thing, mentality. But when uh, actually, you know, when Stan Hansen went into, went to all Japan, he fit better because there are more Americans there, you know. And actually, Jumbo, Tenru, other Japanese wrestlers, even Mis- young Misawa, they were taller than people like Fujinami and Choshu, you know? Mm. Yeah. So actual heavyweight wars was in all uh, Japan instead. Yeah, and a lot of the Japanese talent were trained by the same or, or, or similar uh, trainers or from the same area. I mean, with yeah. Jumbo training in Amarillo, too. It's just the Amarillo clan. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jumbo too. Tenryu, like, too. He works like, yeah, Tenryu, too. They all work like the funks right you know it's, yeah, it's el- amazing el- same same elbow same stump same uh Luther's press same double arm suplex yeah oh even spinning tall hold oh similar jumbo especially yeah so at, at this time did uh hansen and jumbo uh cross paths or was that later Oh yeah, well, of course. In the working aside you know, from tour. the tag, yeah, aside from I mean, the tag team, the wor- working tour every every tour all year long. You know, it's just different dressing room. You know, mm. yeah. Oh, Stan told me once, you know, that uh, during the tour, you know, you go to a small town in Japan, right? And after the show, you know, you look for a place to eat. You know, and uh, a lot of times you ended up walking into a old Chinese restaurant that's that's open late. And when Stan Hansen went into Chinese restaurant all by himself, he found Jumbo eating there all by himself, you know. But they didn't really see together, you know. They looked at each other and kind of waved, you know. They sat in a different table and ate. And uh, Jumbo finished eating, and so he went in, you know, went to pay for it. 
and he turned around and waved again, and that was their conversation. So they weren't that close, were they? Were they? Oh, they were though. They were though. But they kind of friend and almost there's a camaraderie to it that you almost don't need to have actual conversation. It's like that guy's in the same dressing room all the time, you know. And uh, yeah, same age almost, in same career, and yeah, they wave each other and uh, I'll see you tomorrow, kind of thing. And I think they there were friendship. Yeah. But at the Does time, oh yeah, and at the time, I think business must have been so good that these two probably treated each other like coworkers outside of the job. <laughs> you know, yeah. when you but when they you, were like Stan Hansen. What they have in common, Stan Hansen and Jumbo Tsuda both are so private. You know, they don't really hang out with wrestlers either. You know, they are so private. You know, they eat out. I mean, they they go out, step out of you know hotel, and then eat all by himself. Kind of that kind of person. You know. When when Hanson was over in Japan, did he did he live it up like some other foreigners do, and they like to go out and go to Roppongi and and drink? Oh, a he lot? never did that. He never did that. But he encouraged new wrestlers from America. It's like, a, don't be staying in hotel. You, you know, get out of hotel, see the world, meet the people, and you will like Japan, kind of thing. Yeah, both Stan and Brody uh, lectured younger American wrestlers who came to tour. You know. Even oh, that famous story that the uh, Road Warriors very first tour, Bruiser Brody was in it, and Brody, Bruiser Brody, not publicly, but uh, had Animal and Hawk sit down in front of him, and Bruiser Brody gave him a lecture, how to be a star in Japan, and how you know if you, you know if you do this in Japan, you they'll do this for you, and do this and do that, and don't do this, don't do that kind of thing, and uh, Bruiser Brody gave Road Warriors lecture. Not so famous, but yeah, they had this, uh, yeah, like a, what do you call it in Japan? It's a senpai, uh, senpai war. Like a like a, a mentor or a senior. Yeah, senior. Like yeah. a senior and a junior. Like so, so yeah, they were like a senpai, like a mentor. They would mentor the new employees, you could say, or wrestlers who would be kohai or like a junior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Stan Hansen had the role. And Bruce Brody had the role, and obviously Dory Funk and Terry Funk had that role previously, right? Yeah. Do you think that system is really important to pro wrestling industry? Uh, yeah, well, it's not just pro wrestling rest in the history, but the, the very athletic part that people forget about. These guys are athletes, you know, like you're in, in the football's, you know, football players, you know, big, huge locker room, you know, and uh, they don't, you know, they may not be greatest friends with each other, but they don't hate each other and they do look at each other as somebody, you know, you take care of, you know, physically because you need trust in wrestling, you know. At this time, because of how popular All Japan was, was there any feeling or hint of like a competition between uh, wrestlers backstage? Was there a kind of, was it a team effort to uh, improve the company's business or was it a uh, cutthroat, uh, every man for himself type of situation? Ooh. Oh, in Japan, it's more, uh, I think, um, team effort. And also, American dressing rooms are kind of isolated, you know, because Stan will find out all the, you know, all the scoops directly from Giant Baba. But uh, everybody else, you know, in the dressing room, American dressing room, not everybody can walk into Giant Baba's dressing room and say, hey, what's, what's up? Right, you know? right. Yeah. 
So uh, uh, they, a lot of times, half the time, they felt that they were like in uh, left in, in 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 the dark because American wrestlers really didn't know what was happening next three weeks until they are told, you know. So they had their own camp. American or foreign wrestlers would kind of be in their own bubble. Yeah, yeah. And Stan understood that he, uh, there was a huge star uh, in Japan, American star, before Stan Hansen. And Stan Hansen would always bring up two people, uh, Freddie Blassie and Dick Byer, Destroyer, who made star in Japan. And in Stan's eyes, Dick Byer, the Destroyer, and Freddie Blassie, those two are the ones who paved the way for American superstar to become a star in Japan. See, Freddie Blassie was the one telling people that if you, you know, if you act like a star and walk like a star, they will treat you like a star. And Freddie Blassie told, you know, taught him and told Hulk Hogan, you know, rookie Hulk Hogan, the same thing in Japan. You know, if you act like a star, they will, you know, treat you like a star. And what was interesting is though that uh, just as soon as Stan left New Japan and signed with All Japan. Hulk Hogan stayed with New Japan and signed exclusive contract with Inoki's New Japan and became turned babyface. So just as soon as Stan left New Japan, Hulk Hogan was there to take his place. That was so interesting. So that was it. Really, must have felt like it was a war between New Japan and All Japan then. At the time, yeah. But uh, somebody like Hulk Hogan looked at the situation and worked the best for his benefit too. Stands gone, that the spot is open, and Hulk Hogan can become number one American superstar in New Japan and Inoki's rival. And that year, 1981, uh, 1982, uh, he became tag team partner of partner of Anthony Inoki in the one the tag team tournament. So how how Hogan needed Stan Hansen too, you know, first few years, and uh, yeah. It's almost politi- very political in, in, in hindsight, but uh, uh, gotta, we got to remember this. Stan Hansen signed with All Japan Pro Wrestling, you know, and started working in January of 82 and worked All Japan next 20 years straight until he retired in 2001. Yeah, aside from a couple uh special guest appearances on uh, exhibition or, you know, special dream match shows like the Wrestle Summit or, or New Japan, uh, the New Japan Super Show with All Japan. Stand and, against Vader, you mean mm, talking about? Right. Yeah, something, but it was, but it, he was, he was, a, yeah, yeah. he was All Japan guy through and through, yeah, no yeah. matter what. Yeah. No matter what. Right. All Japan guy. And he also didn't come back out of retirement and, and do anything afterwards. He, he, he stayed Pretty loyal Stayed, to yeah, yeah. all Japan. And also when Stan had, you know, uh, had AWA World, World Heavyweight title by beating Rick Martel, it was all Japan deal. So all Japan, it, so they, they kind of masterminded that situation. What's the story there? I guess, uh, um, AWA, you know, it was a midst of, American wrestling war too, you know. Uh, it was before WCW, it was still NWA Crockett. You know, NWA Crockett, Tennessee, AWA, Louisiana, uh, all these um, uh, existing American promoters got together and ran Meadowlands, if you remember. Me- remember? 
they could not go into Madison Square Garden. They, they wanted to go into New York with, you know, this combined effort, you know. But uh, the closest thing they can get was a Meadowlands in New, you know, like a... New Jersey. It's Rutherford, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stan needed to beat Rick Martel, and he was part of the Pro Wrestling, you know, USA? Pro Wrestling, Pro Wrestling USA, yeah. Pro Wrestling yeah, USA. That, TV, that the combined TV program existed for like six months period, right? Mm-hmm. And they wanted to utilize Stan as their unique talent. And uh, yeah, they had, but then again, Stan and Vern Gagne had a falling out. And in uh, one night in, in Denver, Colorado, that uh, Vern told Stan to you know put Nick Bachwinkle over for the title and said, and Stan said, I ain't doing it. And then he went downstairs to hotel cocktail lounge and start drinking, you know, and I ain't going. And, and and they had to forfeit the title and then gave the title back to Nick Bakwinko. Uh, I believe it was 1970, uh, 87. But anyhow, yeah, American territory was not where Stan's heart was. Stan's working place was always in Japan. Yeah. And I mean, back to, I, so 84, 85, he's already established, he's more established in old Japan. He, yeah. He has title matches with Baba, and, he, and by this time he has a, a like you said earlier, he has a kind of special relationship or different relationship with Giant Baba compared with a lot of other wrestlers, even Japanese wrestlers. He was, um, I, I from what I'm told, I mean, he never signed an official contract after a while. It was amazing, right, right. Working for one wrestling company for over twenty year period, I mean, like, like. No interference. I mean, just straight twenty-one year working for one promoter, like a law, like a real lawyer, right? They never signed contract. That is amazing, isn't it? For today's today's standard, it's very unique, and it shows a lot of trust between the two and a lot of loyalty from. And probably Hansen. the last time any wrestling promoter and 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 a superstar pro wrestler worked. In handshake basis, huh? Must be. Yeah. At, at such a big level, I can't... I mean, there's serious money being thrown around, especially at this time. This is not like a, a small uh, one-time indie show where... Oh, no. No, this was... I mean, All Japan was probably financially maybe number two in the world at this point, you could say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number two or three. Yeah. Number two or three, o- yeah. Always WWE, New Japan, All Japan, right? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, and people like Stan Hansen were making thirty, forty thousand dollars a week. Uh, in, amazing, in, amazing. Yeah, working in Japan twenty weeks a year, and that was also at a time where the dollar and the yen was worth something different. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So he um, and he was. He told me he was also a very first group of wrestlers who were signed with W. WWF, WWE, in the end of 1983 into 1984, how Kogan era begins. All these famous wrestlers, you know, uh, getting exclusive contracts with, you know, WWE, like Roddy Piper, the uh, Paul Orndorff, the, you know, Randy Machuan Savage, the, you know, all those first group of people. Stan Hansen was among those members, but he chose not to go there, you know. He took Japan over, yeah. And so he pretty much the 1980s. He spent 
pretty much entirely working for Japan and working mostly for all Japan. Uh, all he, rest of his career, mm-hmm. between 1981 to 2001, yes. He so, was full-time with all Japan. <clears throat> and the rest of the 1980s, so more into 1985, 86, 87, where he was already established as a, a He regular. was already established 77 as Inoki's big rival. Yeah. So by this time, he's a real superstar, an established yeah, yeah. superstar. Um, were there any other notable uh, incidents or events that happened uh, mid-80s while Hansen was working with Old Japan? Like, for example, in 84, when Ricky Toshu and his group left, uh, again, Hansen stayed. Old Japan for two years, 85, 86. Mm. And there was a single match program, Stan against, yeah, Stan Hansen against Ricky Choshu. And Ricky Choshu beat Stan Hansen for the PWF, Pacific Wrestling Federation title. But it was DQ finish. Stan wouldn't do it, you know. So the title change handle, you know, cuts PWF rules, DQ, uh, DQ finish. You, you know, the, the title can still change hands. So Ricky Choshu became PWF heavyweight champion by beating Stan Hansen, but Stan never did the job at the time. Yeah, it was interesting. And by this time, he was working in Japan all the time, but he wasn't living there yet, was he? No, I don't think so. He was going back and forth, but he is very private about it. Because uh, every time I get a, a like home address, you know, can I'll send you something? Can I have your address? Sometimes his his Stan's address was Jackson, Mississippi. Sometimes his address was um, uh, Hotchkiss, uh, Colorado. Does, is there such town? I, I I'm assuming there is, but I've never heard of it. Yeah, Hotch- okay, Hotchkiss. Uh, Denver, I mean, uh, uh, the Colorado. Mm-hmm. And one time his address was Waco, Texas, you know? And uh, so he moved quite a bit. But uh, it was always either your uh, place like a Colorado or Jackson, Mississippi or Waco, Texas, like way, way out there in the countryside. That's yeah. his style. Yeah. Real cowboy. Yeah, okay. You lived in Japan, right? Mm-hmm. So if you remember warm toilet seat, machine thing yeah warmlet yeah that's one he, of the brand names <laughs> warm yeah and washlet you know they oh, wash yeah. your butt right <laughs> yeah with water he fell in love with the thing and he bought you know quite a few of those and brought it back home and built in his own basement <laughs> wow i had no idea yeah. I he, didn't know. Yeah, he had a big, you know, big box, you know, with his suitcase. You know, I saw him in the hotel lobby, you know, before he got on the bus. And I asked him, what the hell is that box for? It's like, I'm buying this. It's like, he bought the washlet toilet, you know, and he was so excited to put him in his home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it reminds me, I don't know why I'm thinking of the word, you know, Bakugai. Yeah, yeah, sure. You you go crazy by saying shopping right? spree. He's like a <laughs> he's like a, someone who like I see people like that at the airport usually. The people from overseas who who just buy toilet seats and <laughs> AC or just yeah. a lot of goods that they can't get uh, somewhere else. But it's uh, that shows again how much Stan Hansen adapted to Japanese culture. I also heard oh, he, you know he um. Actually, he can go into Japanese izakaya, you know, like a bar and grill, izakaya. Mm-hmm. He can order things on his own. Of course, that's easy. But, uh, you know, what to eat, what not to eat, you know. And, uh, yeah, he I- was just a big 
pound stand hands. Can you picture sitting in a Japanese uh, izakaya using chopsticks, ordering sake? But he really did that, almost like cliche. But uh, it reminded me of like uh, Black Rain or something. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> movie with Michael Douglas? Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, it's like he is American living in Japan kind of thing. And those izakayas that you're talking about, those are, depending on where they are, if we're talking about Tokyo, those are very small. Like this yeah. narrow, very narrow. And yeah. um, usually you can maybe, some of them you can, uh, of course, they're all different sizes, but I'm thinking of big big time ones in like Shinjuku where only four or five people can fit inside. And yeah. Stan Hansen, we talked about how big he was. This It's hard not to stick out and that really can wear on you. So I understand why you would want to be private because there's no escaping uh, if you're Stan Hansen, you're in Japan. Uh, but he was adventuresome enough that uh, he actually sit down and read those, you know, menus, you know, written in Japanese. And uh, yeah, it's like, we're going back and forth. And I want to, you know, stay in the same lane as, uh, as the, the day and dates and years. But uh, yeah, I have to point out the fact that a lot of people wonder about how good, how good Stan's Japanese language was, right? Mm-hmm. And many interviews in American interviews, in English speaking interviews, he always answered like, I never learned. I never learned, right? Mm. Uh, that's not entirely accurate, you know? When he said he never learned, meaning that he never learned the proper grammar or the vocabulary of it, okay? Therefore, he didn't think he learned. But in reality, Stan Hansen's and you know he understands Japanese a whole lot more than he can say. You know what I'm saying? Listening, oh, yeah. yeah, being in the dressing room and being in the Japanese conversation kind of situation, or being being only one American gaijin in the entire room and everybody else speaking Japanese, he actually understood a whole lot more than he can say it. Hey, but he never lets up. I mean, like a the last Mohican, last guy of your kayfabe era, right? Mm. <laughs> that he, he wouldn't let people know that he understood Japanese. I think he understood most of it. I still do. Well, I mean, after 20 plus years, and especially, I think he has a Japanese wife as well now, but I'm yeah, sure yeah, he's... Yeah. And it's funny because when he His said, kids speak perfect Japanese. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Shaver, yeah. It, it's funny because uh, when he says... Uh, I, I never learned. That's kind of a Japanese style answer. You like know, he, being humble? Yeah. He, <laughs> of course he knows a little bit. I mean, he's a Japanese superstar. No, like, no matter what, if you're staying in a place, whether you learn or not, you're going to pick up certain things to survive because otherwise you just won't survive. So there's a level of, I, I at least from my personal experience, because I spent a lot of time just you know learning on my own before i properly uh like studied at a university studied japanese at a university but before that i felt kind of the same i i knew what i knew but i never felt comfortable so maybe it's that but on the other hand then i'm you sure tell people that you're fluent or anything like oh that. never no no <laughs> but actually you understanding by listening whole lot more than you can bring out the entire sentence right yeah my I, I, there's input the input is in my brain. Just the output is I, I'm not uh, able to be as, you know, that's what practice is. You got to practice so you could become more fluent. So 
it's one of those things where if you yeah so i believe stan understood japanese absolutely fine. <laughs> i think he's okay for sure yeah, yeah more so than brody you know brody may be a little bit arrogant that uh, you know, they'll speak english for me but uh, stan was like smiling and always like a friendly enough and like uh like, he's really charming outside the ring right he's mm. always smiling you know friendly and uh i think he was able to carry japanese company he Stan has never spoke to me in Japanese. One thing. <laughs> Maybe that's because he wanted to protect that part of his life from you, the journalist. I guess. I guess yeah, yeah. So he was quite guarded, no matter what. He would. Uh... Uh, very private. Very private. Yes. Yeah. W was it because of how popular he was? And then also the way he was, you just know? his personality. Yeah, and then he was married to a Japanese woman. He didn't make it public for a long time until he was retired, you know? Yeah. So by, uh, where are we at? 86? 80, yeah. So before we wrap part one today, where oh, should wow. we? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. There's a, okay. 1977, 1978, 1980. He had full-time run with New Japan, right? Against Antonio Inoki, huge superstar. Then, at the end of 1981, starting January 1982, he became full-time, switched to all Japan, and then worked another 20 years in, just in Japan. And in 1990, the championship there was a three singles championship in all Japan: international heavyweight title, PWF. Pacific Wrestling Federation title and UN Ten Roots belt that the UN United National belt. They were going to combine these three major single title into one. Now we know we all know as a triple crown. The triple crown story was like a one year long storyline. Stan got two titles and Jumbo held the uh, Stan held PWF title and UN title and Jumbo kept his international title. Those double champion you know went against each other and stan and jumbo's program lasted a year or so then became triple crown that was 90s it's already 30 some years ago but uh, yeah so he was part of the nwf storyline he was part of the real tag team championship storyline he was part of the triple crown storyline right yeah and also he developed many american tag team partners in, in japan stan and Ted DiBiase tag team, Stan Terry Gordy tag team, Stan D Danny Spivey tag team, Stan Johnny S tag team, Stan and Steve Williams tag team. So he had more partners besides Bruiser Brody. So eventually Tenru as well, right? Yeah, that was so popular. Yeah, I mean, he so popular. Speaking of Triple Crown, wasn't Stan Hansen a part of when Tenru won the Triple Crown? Wasn't he at ringside, kind of supporting him? Do you remember that match? It was eighty nine, nineteen ninety. Was that a? Was, it's kind of skipping, but uh, skipping. Yeah, I'm skipping a, ahead. Yeah, uh, Stan and Tenru's friendship storyline, right? Yes. Yeah, just yeah. after the Triple Crown, uh, uh, what we were talking about earlier, the Jumbo and then uh, Stan Hansen kind of year long Triple Crown story. We we can yeah, talk yeah. more about that uh, yeah. uh, next you know, time. Also, in nineteen ninety, when 
SWS, the new group, Super World Sports, the new guy, you know, new company started with Tenru. And Tenru and his guys, like 15 guys left All Japan, right? Mm -hmm. It made All Japan kind of a skeleton. Right. That's when Stan Hansen became another focal point. This guy stayed with All Japan and became, stayed as a main band. People like that, you know? Yeah. And he, yeah. he did the same thing in a different context, but he did it again 10 years later. Yeah, yeah. So he's like a loyal guy, you know? And very important yeah. to all Japan history, all Japan pro wrestling's history. Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he had a single match, Stan had a single match program against Baba, single match program against Jumbo, tag team, and single match program against Tenru. Then he fought every single, you know, four pillars, you know, Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, you know, all the way down to Akiyama. He was there to face each and every one of them until the end. Do you think so, his matches yeah, so, with those guys, those four, the, the Taue and the Misawa and Kobashi, do you think Stan Hansen... Or, or Kawada? Well, actually, it was very beautiful because people sensed Stan was aging, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the rather young Kawada, Kobashi, younger Misawa fighting against 40-some-year-old, almost 50-year-old Stan, right? It's like Stan still be as good as he was 10 years. And then he really had beautiful single match against people like Kobashi, Kawada, and Misawa. Yeah. Yeah. He still had it. He never, he never had an off year. He seemed like he was on 100% whenever he was active. Yes. Slowing down a little, though not as devastating as when he was 1980, but the people kind of grew with him. I mean, grow, you know, I mean, like stands aging right in front of Japanese audience. The Japanese audience really witnessed how Stan aged and really fell in love with him again. Does and that make sense? Oh, yeah. And when we think about aging, we know that our eyesight often deteriorates with age too. And Stan Hansen is kind of uh, infamous <laughs> yeah. for his, <laughs> his lack of eyesight, apparently. Yeah, so, and then outside the ring, he was famous for his uh, Coke bottle glasses. Big Coke yeah. bottle glasses. Yeah, I believe he still wears <laughs> yeah. them today. Yeah, and then he smiles beyond that too, you know? He has, yeah, he, he doesn't strike someone as like, he's not like a Clint Eastwood kind of cowboy. He's not a, a mean, scary guy. Like you said, he's more of a sunshine. He's fiery. He's happy. Yeah, yeah. And then he talks like Southern guy, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's very believable. Would, would you say he's on the same level of popularity as someone like John Wayne in Japan? Probably. See, if, if, if you know anything at all about John Wayne, you have to be a little bit older, right? And uh, it all depends on how many years, how many decades you are in front of the audience. And Stan was in front of the Japanese audience all through 70s and 80s and 90s into millenniums. It's like, that guy's got to be popular. You know, I mean, he's, he outlasted all the cartoons. He outlasted all the soap operas on TV. He outlasted all the baseball players on TV. And Stan Hansen always looked the same, you know. And, uh, yeah, there's a trust, you know. If Stan Hansen's on TV, you know, I, I'll stop and watch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's a big star. He, he seems to have transcended. And also, this is like, a, there's no fancy moves, you know. And uh, But for somewhat, somehow, his match is kind of good. I mean, it's so hard to explain because he doesn't do anything fancy, right? 
I think he knows how to. I, you know, I think he knows how to bring out some kind of reaction or emotions from his opponents. Yeah. And it's all because of how he does, because of how spontaneous he wrestles. He, uh, his matches with Kenta Kobashi are going to be a lot different than his matches with someone like Misawa because of right. Misawa's personality. Sli- and Kobashi. You have to slightly change what you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And his style is, is good because it, it's easily adaptable. It can fit in any sort of situation, a gimmick, a hardcore match or a regular major league match or, or tag team match, whatever. He was always, he never had to compromise much of who he presented himself to be. Right. Oh, to wrap up uh, today, today's, you know, very first episode of Stan, he understood that the mentality or mindset of Japanese wrestling fans very well too. That he told me that, Stan told me that, that the, you need big bad gaijin in Japanese wrestling. Gaijin meaning international foreigner, right? That the, the reason he felt that Japanese wrestling always needed big bad gaijin was that if all the matches are Japanese against Japanese, Japanese baby face against Japanese heels, it's just like regular society and social structure that the older guys who win and younger guys who will be underdog, this and that. It's like so much, I mean, similar to what you see in the real real world out there, like a social structure. You will need big, bad gaijin, American gaijin in wrestling, where you can't do anything about it, you know, physically. You know, there's no logic. Big gaijin will always be strong. There's no logic to it, and I'm that. Is that's why that's right. That's right. Because Japanese against Japanese, you, you look too deep into it. You know, whose mentality or psychology or who's gonna overcome their fear or who's gonna conquer or whatever. The, the, what Stan was looking at was that none of those logic will work if you have big bad big gaijin come in and destroy everything. Because, like, yeah, he's that- like you, Godzilla. Godzilla. And that's because of how people would react to that. People in the crowd in Japan would react to someone like that because it's so big and so strong. You can do not anything about, you know? Yeah. So I think that's a nice way to tie it up and, and wrap it for today because. Right. So we covered seventies, late seventies, new Japan stand and WWE stand and now finally joined and found his home in Japan as old Japan and working for Jan Baba for 20 years after that. And uh, he retired basically when Baba died and Jumbo died and he decided to, you know, end his career with it. And uh, yes, all in all, he was old Japan superstar. Yes. And before we go, would you have any uh, recommendations for our listeners uh, if they want to watch Stan's any, matches? Yeah, if they're not familiar. Well, with- if you are in in New Japan World, you know, you can always go back to archive of early 1977, 78, or 79, or the one Stan won the title. Uh, you can find Inoki against Stan in New Japan World. And other than that, you will be able to find a lot of Stan's matches on YouTube, you know. Stan and Tenru's tag team matches are always kind of good for me, you know. Um, Stan and early, you know, Baba's match actually is pretty good. 
Jumbo and Stan can be kind of almost not a boring, but like um, something to do with Jumbo's body size that he works like an American. So it doesn't come off like Japanese matches all that much. So I say Stan against Kawada, Stan against Kobashi, Stan against Misawa is very good material to study, you know, slowing down aged veteran Stan still working around. Not a, not in his prime, but he can still have very, very smart wrestling match. You know, that kind of thing. And his match style and his way of wrestling really progresses into the 90s. And we see uh, a, almost a, not a different Stan Hansen, but we see a, a different different layer or different form. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So like what, autumn, autumn of his wrestling career, hmm. and he's becoming more and more babyface without turning babyface, you know. And uh, it was people decided, you know, uh, people pretty much decided that the Stan is babyface now, you know. Yeah, and he never changed. It was always oh no, same worked the same, and always worked against Japanese or against American. He's on his own. Yeah, it was always in the hands of the fans to decide what they wanted from him. How yeah, they yeah, how they wanted yeah. him to act, or what they wanted to cheer or boo, um, and yeah. also it was good. This is so good about wrestling that uh, in all you know, like uh, in during nineties at the Budokan show, you know, I saw things like you know, fans will come up to Stan and, and try to talk to him. It's like grandparents were watching him, my parents were watching, and I'm watching, and my little baby's watching. It's like. Oh, three or four generations wrestling fan watching stands and oh my gosh you know yeah so he means a lot yeah, i think so lot. yeah so we're going to continue the rest of this uh, profile series on yeah because he had the uh, you know wcw run if you remember you know mm-hmm. yeah and then Short- also wrestling wrestling summit is another very important one to talk. You know, we can talk about. Yeah, we'll talk about that uh, next week at the top of the show. That and the uh, the other New Japan show we t- mentioned earlier with uh, Hanson and Vader. Yeah, yeah. The Hanson Vader happened in WCW too. You know, mm-hmm. because the match was so good that WC wanted to reproduce it in their pay per view, so they did that too. Yeah. Write that down for me, Saito. <laughs> Patrons, welcome back. This is Write That Down. I'm Justin Nipper, and I'm here with Fumi Saito. Fumi, hello. Hello from Tokyo. So, today's topic, part two. We're back to Stan Hansen, part two. We left off last time at around 1989, and this was a big time for Stan Hansen, because he was... So, we should do a little review, a little quick review. So, he came to Japan in 73, 74, 75. 75, 75. He debuted January 1st of 73. And the first trip to Japan was all Japan. September of 1975. 1975. So he was first on Japanese soil, 1975 for all Japan. Yeah, all Japan. As a, pretty much like a, it was third year, but uh, he was placed as a rookie because the, on tour they had, there was a people like Abdul the Butcher, the Ox Baker, the Larry Zabisco, the you know Bobby Jaggers, that a little bit more veteran crew. So he was Stan was the rookie one in a you know in a crew. Yeah, mm, with the long blonde hair. Yeah, yeah. A little bit different look. 
And also, it's sometimes hard how how big of a star this star you know this wrestling this person can be. You know, it's kind of hard to tell in, on your first trip. You know, it was just mm. big Texas guy. Yeah. And then he would come back to Japan, but he wouldn't come back to all Japan immediately. Right. He had a big program in, in WWF, WWF, uh, WWE with Bruno San Martino, where he broke his neck kind of thing. Remember? That's right. And he became main event star in Madison Square Garden. He had the six months run with WWF. And top program would be, of course, against back in 76. Yes, he was a t- top program against Bruno San Martino. That made him star. Okay. And 76 was the year where they had Antonio Inoki against Muhammad Ali. WWE was American feed, you know, the, the server, you know, before internet live streaming or pay-per-view, it was your live beaming streaming, uh, not an internet, it's before internet, it was more like your cable. Closed circuit. Closed circuit, uh, closed circuit television show, yeah, from, yeah satellite te- television that the feeding from japan and to, to make a friday night in new york they uh, they had muhammad ali inoki fight in tokyo on to- tokyo saturday morning you know and in new york shea stadium live main event was bruno Sam- returning bruno Martino against stan henson he was already established established superstar in new york that time so he was becoming this huge star. Not yeah, in, just, actually, just he didn't really break break Bruno San Martino's neck with Lariat or anything. It was an accident, at the very beginning of the match. You know, kind of slipped with sweat and uh, you know body slam slipped and then he stand kind of dropped Bruno San Martino from head. You know, but uh, Bruno got up, you know broke his neck and got up and finished the match. That was the deal, but. They, when somebody breaks neck, yes, it will be used as storyline. Stan Hansen, who broke Bruno San Martino, living legend's neck, and that made him start right. Mm. Yeah, and then, then on his way. So yeah. because he was working with the WWF, they eventually sort of made a deal with uh, Mr. Shinma and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, they signed the deal year before that. Yeah, mm-hmm. like. Uh, and- 75 to 84, 85, they had like an 11-year partnership, business partnership uh, between New Japan and Vince McMahon Senior's WWF. Mm. Yeah. And so, that was yeah. what saw him go to New Japan first before yeah. he would return back. Jan- January, January of 77, he was already back in Japan. This time, New Japan's Antonio Inoki's new rival. What was so interesting in hindsight, year 79, 80, 81-ish, mm-hmm. uh, well, the starting is 10, 77, 78, 79, 80, 81. He was, Stan was with New Japan five, next five years as top talent. You know, I don't know how many times he had title match against Inoki, but he did surpass people like Taiga Jit Singh. See, Taiga Jit Singh was Inoki's number one rival all through 70s. But at the end of the 70s into early 80s, Stan pretty much took Taiga Jit Singh's place as number one American in Inoki's crew. And at the same time, year 
79, 80, 81, these three years with all Japan, it was Bruiser Brody who surpassed Abdul the Butcher as number one gaijin. So same around the same time, you know, 78, 79, 80 into 81. Stan Hansen was number one American gaijin for Inoki's New Japan. Bruiser Brody was number one American gaijin superstar for All Japan. So those two had separate run in two different companies. That's why it was huge deal when Stan switched the sides to All Japan and the, and the Super Miracle Violence duo, whatever. Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody became tag team. It was a miracle team that the two superstars, you know, finally got together because Stan Hansen Bruiser Brody tag team was something that you read in Japanese wrestling magazine all through 70s. They were the tag team champions in Louisiana. And also, yeah, Bruiser Brody had his WWE run. Bruiser Brody, young Bruiser Brody against Bruno San Martino, you know, pretty much right before or after in the Stan Hansen program was Bruno. So they were in New York around the same time too. Yeah, the careers sort of uh, kind of ran parallel to each other at a lot of times. If they weren't in mm-hmm. the same company together, right, they'd right. be kind of on the similar path, just in a different promotion. Yeah, they were tag team, but they were never really tag team wrestlers. Two single, you know, single wrestler getting together to become team, you know? Yeah. So did it feel like a real, like a, a dream team kind of pairing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real dream So it never team. felt like, it, it's kind of like, I got, do you remember when like a, Steve Austin and Triple H. The- yeah, and then even better if you come from different company. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it kind of had a, a, a big feel to it, big time feel. Yeah, Kevin Nash Hall. Yeah, like a big superstar switching company, big companies, you know. And he and- was the last one, you know. And also... Abdul the Butcher traditionally being uh, all Japan's Baba superstar, but he was getting old and Bruiser Brody pretty much you know, replaced him. And Taiga Jit Singh, Inoki's number one rival all through the 70s, uh, Stan Hansen came in and pretty much you know replaced him. So it, was, it all happened around the same time. It was very symbolic. Yeah. And when Stan Hansen was finally rotated out of New Japan, he ended up back in all Japan. Yeah. For yeah. Giant Baba. Yeah, we had a really through good relationship Terry Funk. with yeah through Terry Funk. That's right. Yeah, but they were never publicized because Stan Hansen and Terry Funk would be working against each other in the ring program. Mm. So they didn't really announce it. It was Terry Funk who put together a deal. And sometimes they don't say it, you know. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, but the Stan and Terry Funk, they were always so tight. Oh, from all Amarello group. Yeah. Yeah, very unique set of guys that are all from around the same area, if not the same school, like we're talking with. Uh, yeah, West Texas State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bruiser Brody, Funk, Bobby Duncan. Yeah, Dusty DiBiase. Rose, Dick Murdoch, Tito Santana, Ted DiBiase, Tully Blanchard, or even Barry Windham. And also, mm-hmm. years years back, Dory Funk and Terry Funk was in the school, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. They were like all big football player and being wrestling fan and beer drinker and uh, uh, being Terry Funk fan too when they were all in college playing football. Can you imagine like a football dressing room, you know, people like Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen, Dusty Rose all in it? (laughs) I can't imagine the smell. 
<laughs> a smell. Okay. <laughs> right. That too. Oh, and then also like a really bully type, you know, dressed in the locker room. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, guy. push each other. All, competitive stars all in the same locker room. Uh, kind oh, of. all Eagles. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it might be more exciting than out in the ring. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, it's what's interesting, though, they wanted to become wrestlers. You know what I'm saying? Right. See, yeah. Some a lot of the football players are secretly wrestling fans, huh? Yeah, look at uh, what's his name, Pat McAfee, who's in yeah. WWE now. Oh, uh, okay, right, yeah, that too. But your football coach will never tell you to be a wrestler. <laughs> you know what of saying? course, yeah, they, they'll <laughs> always try to do the opposite. Yeah. Oh, we'll the college wrestling coach, college wrestling coach uh, will never, right, right. never tell you to be a professional wrestler. They're all fake and bad people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cliche, huh? Mm. You know, but it's like uh, geographically, you know, they're just such a like almost like a folklore that those guys all went to college, you know, together and played football together at the same time. And also there was a local wrestling in Amarillo, Texas, the Funks was running that they all go watch it, you know, young college student, you know, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, Dusty Rose, those people actually went to watch Terry Funk wrestle, you know, yeah, mm -hmm. as a fan. I, I'm what I read from his book. Stan Hansen said he would go and he would drink beer and, and yell at Terry Funk and all the guys <laughs> in the ring, just like anybody else. And they thought, you know, the young Stan reminded you know a lot of people of young Terry Funk. You know, I could see that. I mean, Stan Hansen had a pretty powerful voice. I'm yeah. sure he was uh, using it back then. And the uh, shows that and... the flannel shirt and the Wrangler jeans and cowboy boots and <laughs> you know. Probably oh, cowboy hat too. Cowboy hat too, of course. Tengeron hat. Yeah, yeah, almost cliche. But Japanese people always loved cowboy automatically though. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he really embodied that uh, vision that people had already in their minds of what the cowboy Just might Just like represent. if you have this visual image of Japanese samurai or something. Yeah, that's almost cliche. But uh, yeah. Stan but Hansen. you know what? I, I think Great Muta kind of filled that uh, uh, need or yeah, right. something in Western what minds, you yeah. What you expect from Japanese person, huh? Something, especially back then where it's <laughs> mystical. He's kind of a ninja, kind of <laughs> yeah. not really. Uh, there's kabuki somewhere. There's makeup. But you don't really know. It's not really Japanese, actually. It's just also, him. you are a master of martial arts and you kick and chops. Yes, of course. But no, <laughs> no specific martial arts, just general martial arts. Some kicking. like a, yeah. you'll, you'll get by any Bruce Lee move, something. Yeah. I liked when the announcers would say judo chop. There is no chop in judo. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's great. They would say the judo chop. There, the is judo no, chop. there is no striking in judo. That's I so imagine if you saw uh, somebody at the world judo... Uh, tournament through a chop <laughs> you know you're dq <laughs> automatically yeah so okay so he, then when stan hansen was back in all japan and we're talking late 80s then he really started to establish himself as the the number one foreign wrestler not just in all japan yeah from yeah stan hansen joining you know the end end of 81 only a few days after he finished up you know new japan's tag team tournament and he was he was still in Tokyo. Then showed up in street clothes with All Japan's Turk Team Tournament final as a second of uh, Bruiser Brody and Jimmy Snuka. Well, deal was made before that, but uh, you know, showing up with street clothes, you know, at the big show, it was a big, huge impact. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then old, uh, Stan Hansen ended up uh, being you know being with 
All Japan Pro Wrestling next 20 years, between 1981 to 2001. You know, the, the January of 2001, he finally retired in Japan. So he spent next 20 years in Japan, All Japan, you know. So let's get right into his, his work in All Japan in the later 80s, around like 1989 is when... That... Uh, Championship was combined and uh, merged. Mm. Then two champions, international champion uh, Jumbo against uh, PWF, Pacific Wrestling Federation, and UN, United National Heavyweight Champion, two champions stand against international champion, champion Jumbo in April of 89 in Ota Gym and Jumbo uh, that, that pretty much that, that conquered the three belts and it became Triple Crown. That's uh, end of '89. It's actually Heisei, first year of Heisei era, and '89 uh, sounds like the end of the '80s. So it just it was all appropriate, I think. '90s wrestling meant triple crown, you know, mm. and also it was withdrawing from um, traditional NWA uh, affiliates. That's also need to be pointed out because. All Japan, all, all, Giant Baba's All Japan was like always strong, strong affiliate of AWA and the NWA, right? Mm -hmm. In 1989, there is no NWA like a traditional NWA. You, you know, it, it, NWA Crockett already became WCW and they were about to sign a deal with New Japan. And uh, AWA, Vern Gagne's AWA is, was going to run out of business and it did in 1990. And there is no affiliate, you know? And uh, some some of these you know old traditional Japanese wrestling fans still look at you know all Japan's international title, international heavyweight. Title. It's NWA international heavyweight title, isn't it? And then they say uh, when you call it UN United National UN title, a lot of people still call it NWA United National title, right? So, no, it's not. It's, it's, there is no affiliate. It's all Japan. Nothing wrong with being recognized with all Japan, right? Mm. But uh, some of the traditional Japanese wrestling fans traditionally wants American company to be, you know, that uh, like a recognizing organization or something, you know? Something official. Like it's not just made up. It's it's sanctioned by NWA. Sanctioned by, yeah. It's a, that's the a myth. Original. It's a myth, of course. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, it's like something that's like your ML, MLB affiliate or NBA affiliate or NFL affiliate, kind of like that. And then, uh, it was a time that uh, Giant Baba decided to withdraw the old affiliates from American existing wrestling companies. He wouldn't do business with WWE. There is no WCW, NWA. There is no AWA anymore. And the American wrestlers Giant Baba had, you know, during '90s, it's all original American wrestlers, all Japan, under all Japan contract, like you know, Stan Hansen. The, Steve Williams, Terry Gordy, the, uh, Dan Danny Spivey, the Johnny S, Doug Furness, Phil, uh, Phil, uh, Dan Spivey, you know, Dan Crawford, Danny Crawford, Johnny, Johnny Smith, uh, the a lot, uh, the Patriot. There's like a 20 American stars under all Japan contracts. So the Japanese wrestling fans start recognizing, right, these are American stars who work for all Japan wrestling. It's like a, Finally, got the regular American crew or something. New and Japan, yeah, yeah, New Japan the same way. 
Mm, but, but they both definitely had different flavors, especially yeah, yeah, in the of 90s. course. Uh, New Japan at the time, Vader, Bigoro, Scott Norton, yeah, Tony mm. Holm, yeah, and a little Big, bit later on, Don, the Don Fry, yeah, and also Where, not not necessarily smooth worker, but more stiff, realistic. I mean, like a real stiff, snug style, right? Scott Norton, Ron Simmons would pop up. The big, big guys yeah, from WCW. Big guys, yeah. And then uh, they work so stiff, but Japanese wrestlers don't complain, you know. And it was just, uh, I always remember like Scott Norton, Bam Bam Big at all, uh, the Vader in six man tag team situation, all beating up young Kensuke Sasaki the entire time, <laughs> you know. Wow, it's like hazing, it's like torture. <laughs> yeah, but. Kensuke never complained, you know, and then later on he became power warrior, you know. Mm. So that was it worked out, you know. Yeah. So Stan Hansen, even though he wasn't, uh, so at this point, like 1990, 1991, he wasn't necessarily young. He was, he was getting. This was kind of the the prime time of his career, maybe not the the zenith of his career, but definitely an important section of his career because I think he really as they say, gave the rub to uh, stars like Misawa, Misawa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he switched Kobashi. affiliate from New Japan to All Japan starting in 82, first program was, of course, against Giant Baba. Then Stan beats Giant Baba to become PWF, Pacific Wrestling Federation champion. But after that, you have program against Jumbo. You have program against Funks. You know, you have program against other Americans like Gordy and Steve Williams. Then after Jumbo, you have Misawa, Kobashi, Kawada, you know, their generation. And then he was involved in, Stan was involved in this Triple Crown program all the way to like 96, you know. That, that's a long, some really... yeah, that's a long, yeah, program. You know, Jumbo program, Terry Gordy program, uh, the program, Triple Crown, then Misawa, and Jumbo again, then Kawada. And in the, at the same time, Stan and Tenru became tag team. Stan and, and Kawada became tag team. He had, uh, the, Stan Hansen had a lot of different tag team partners. Like we talked about Stan and Brody's tag team, Stan and Ted DiBiase tag team, Stan and Dan Spivey was a tag team. Stan Hansen and Terry Gordy was a tag team. And Stan Hansen, a little bit later on, made a tag team with Gary Albright. And a little bit at the end, he was tag team partner with Vader. So Stan gave each and every American his superstar rub too. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah, and wasn't he right before, I think, wasn't he with Baba right before? He right, he was a tag team, partner, was tag team partner with Baba, right. It was like a senior baby face. Yeah, right. And I think that might have been the reverse, where seeing him with Baba, I mean, how can fans not love that after they had their first match earlier on in the 80s? Right. I think they were in the real world, the, the tournament, the, the real world tag series. Right. And also, you are loved so much after you spend so much time in front of the audience, right? I mean, you can't be, I mean, you work like heel, but you, you cannot, you can no longer, no longer be heel. If people watch Stan, he works the same, but you look at him like a baby face because they love him. I mean, <laughs> you know? he, he, would, he would come out and just you would see people he run swing, to him. Yeah. And he swing his cowbell and, and you get hit. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Were you ever hit by his cowbell? I was chased by Sheik and Abby as a kid. Ah, that's right. A little before. Yeah, a little With, before. Uh, 
with the uh, with the fork uh and pencil or a piece of chopsticks or something like that you know <laughs> broken chopsticks and if you know uh you know a uh, uh, real old-fashioned looking bottle opener like a beer bottle opener yeah like a kind of heart shape yeah like yeah yeah yeah, the, yeah right you, you can hold it he yeah. used to use that <laughs> <laughs> then we were chased like my my sixth grade seventh grade friends we were chased by abby and stan they, then then abby turned around and went the other way so we chased him so we can touch his back <laughs> <laughs> then we touched his back his back was really wet i mean like a sweaty <laughs> but uh, you want to it's touch... kind of like survival game too right i guess because they're <laughs> like not this i mean like uh, out of the out of this world kind of people you know <laughs> yeah like when when else would you see a, a person of this size this craziness with a, a, a bottle opener in his hand can opener in his hand chasing ble you bleeding too bleeding <laughs> sweating screaming and he the abdul the butcher was supposed to be from sudan what is sudan <laughs> yeah the madman from sudan yeah yeah and, yeah, yeah and it and really goes from syria you know <laughs> right right yeah syria michigan <laughs> yeah Oh, they were um, scary, though. They were but, scary. But it really was a point in, in not it, not just Japanese history, but probably around the world where the information and, and just a, a cultural literacy just wasn't there. We It was something new. Everybody no, we have was to remember, seeing this, it. This all happened before the internet. We didn't even have a cell phone, you know? There was no facts, nothing. It just watch wrestling every week and get the dates and find the building. You go to show if you're lucky and you might be able to touch the wrestlers, you know? Mm. Because <laughs> yeah. they're not going to be anywhere else in uh, in Japan, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, but so. so the same way, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, a generation younger than we are, that... Stan, Bruiser Brody, they're like larger than life, you know, form. Larger, larger than life superstars. Like uh, when you go to an amusement park, you see the characters. <laughs> I mean, they're like that, but they're real. They're real guys. And I, I yeah. remember when you you sent me a, a picture of yourself a long time ago with Brody and Snuka, and you could see how big, <laughs> how yeah. gigantic they were. And, I, and they... The way they acted, and Stan Hansen is included in this too. They take themselves or their or their quote their character, and they'd really <laughs> tune it up, and they'd really go for it and go hundred ten percent in whatever they were doing. And it really did make an. Uh, it sounds kind of vague, but it makes that. Uh, it gives it that but effect. Stan, and at the same time, Stan Hansen and Bruce Brody were not really crazy person in person person. Mm. When you see the press and interview, sit down, you know, interview, they were very intellectual and do like sport interview, no gimmick storyline interviews. You know, when you, you know, when Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, or for people like Terry Funk, uh, Tiger G. Sim, uh, Abdul the Butcher, for that matter, their interviews, magazine interviews are very serious content, you know. So people take them more seriously too, you know. Yeah. So by the early '90s is also when Hansen was having really people call them classic matches now with the, the, some of the top uh, all Japan Japanese stars, the younger stars at the time, like Misawa and Kobashi and Kawada. Right. After Jumbo, right? After Jumbo, yeah. After Jum after Misawa beat Jumbo and Jumbo was kind of moved out of the picture. Right. I mean, right. he was still there, senior. but. Hmm. He wasn't. It was different from the '80s. It was like you said, the Heisei period. Everything was kind of new again. But Stan Hansen was still there. 
Right, right. He was right. one of the. Uh, he meant to do that. Oh, it's like he, uh, the big being a big wall standing in front of you. You know, almost literally, he was that big. He was that wide, and he, he never really felt like he was out of place either. He never felt like a senior with those guys. Right, and also they never he his stand never had to keep up with like misawa style wrestling or kobashi style technique you know like they do a lot of different moves right mm -hmm. stand just being there is just being physical you know he mm -hmm. doesn't do fancy moves but he when he does a shoulder block running tackle or the kick you or give you a knee drop just those simple thing means so much you know and it looks especially special when Stan Hansen did. Yeah, Stan Hansen gave me and uh, taught, you know told me about this very important uh, philosophy about Japanese wrestling that the, he he laid this out for me in front of me, very uh, easy to understand. He said that uh, see Japanese against Japanese in wrestling probably won't work as good because you know from generation of Giant Baba into Jumbo's generation. Giant Baba never really put Jumbo Tsura over clean like a single match. Jumbo never beat Baba, you know? By becoming AWA, you know, go to America and then becoming AWA World Heavyweight Champion, had a different accomplishment. Then he became the main event, okay? So mm -hmm. in Stan's eyes, Jumbo never really surpassed Giant Baba's status because of it. But it happens like in, in just like in the real world, you know, Japanese status and the cluster and the hierarchy and the ranking within a company that the Japanese person has to wait for the senior person to step up, step down a little. Therefore, you can climb up one step. And this is like just like real world in the social structure that that the wrestling fans will be disappointed. What Stan Hansen thought was that the, you need big, bad gaijin uh, American badass heel that you cannot do anything about, that it's not a logic, it's not a theory, it physically so big and huge and strong that these Japanese wrestlers cannot do anything about. That's the reality. That's the storyline Stan Hansen always wanted to give to Japanese wrestling. See. Misawa's getting super popular and becoming a you know main event. Kawada and Kobashi becoming super you know they're talented and super popular and getting to be the you know the main guy in the company. But Stan wanted to be that person. That these guys are good, but physically you cannot do anything about it because they are like you're fighting monster Americans. That's what he wanted to be. That's what they what wrestling fans need. And if it's too similar to real social structure, like working up, you know, your ladders, the people will be disappointed that the, the wrestling fan Stan didn't think you know Japanese people would enjoy Misawa against Jumbo as much, or Misawa against Kawada so many times, Misawa Kobashi so many times. They'll never lead that into any conclusion. You need American that that the physically so dominate, huge that these Japanese technical wrestlers can't do can't do anything about. Stan wanted to be that. Does that make any sense? 
Yeah, it, it sounds like it's more of an X factor because it's stay in hand or it's somebody from outside who anything can happen. Yeah, Whereas, so it's not a logic or storyline that he's right, so where, big that he can be accept, exceptional. That's why he last outlasted everybody else. So, like his <clears throat> his idea about Japanese, like a. Uh, uh, Jumbo versus Misawa wouldn't work as well, he thought, because people kind of expect the uh, like a social structure almost. Yeah, yeah, because it's like everyday life. There's no yeah, yeah, superior, superior or senior, yeah, Mm -hmm. or your company ranking or something. Yeah, sure. And but you have Bruiser Brody or Stan Hansen in the picture, then it's it's different. They cannot do anything about. Yeah, Mm. so it becomes a new story. Yeah, and then also that gives more reality to wrestling. Yeah. Mm. And an a interesting way of uh, looking at the outside world. Because uh, Stan was telling me that the, he was here before them, he's here after them. It's like, uh, you know, he's seen Japanese wrestler or even, uh, yeah, American wrestler for that matter, that he has witnessed people come and go, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, he decided to spend rest of his wrestling active career in Japan, and he recognized his role. You know that the what Giant Baba against Stan meant, what Stan against Jumbo Tsuruda meant, what Stan Hansen against Misawa meant, what Stan against Kawada or Kobashi. It, it all means different things. Yeah, he was really thinking. Yeah, and he really it, it led eventually. I, I mean, this isn't directly connected to Hansen, but as the 90s went on and his career started to wind down, but they did, All Japan did, they were able to run a Tokyo Dome show. Yeah, yeah, 98. Yeah, 98 oh, later yeah, Almost on. late, but uh, Baba, Baba, Jan Baba was so conservative that the, it's not a very good place to watch wrestling. That's what he was saying about Tokyo Dome. It's true. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> so far I mean, away. That's true, uh, but, um, but they did it, and... Uh, it was yeah, like I said, it wasn't directly, of course, because of Hanson. But his uh, his he's a kind of um, cor- like a cornerstone, touchstone of yeah. all Japan. Oh, definitely. for all those years, and he and- wit- witnessed everything. You know, he witnessed Giant Baba Abdul the Butcher era. You know, he's seen uh, the Funks, the the, the Sheiks, the the, the Tiger Jeet Singh. And he's seen, uh, you know, Choshu's crew came in and left. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a road Tenru. warrior era. Yeah, Tenru turned. It, it, when Tenru turned on Jumbo and became heel, it was not treated like a heel turn in Japan. It was more like a philosophy difference, <laughs> you know. Storyline, uh, yeah, storyline-wise, wise, yes, it looks like it's simply Tenru turning heel on Jumbo, right? But the storyline was that it was more like a differences in philosophy. Each guys uh, decide to go their their own way, you know, take their own path. More mm-hmm. like, like grown up storyline instead of childish storyline. Right. It was a more uh, nuance in the yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. So it was natural that the Tenru will appoint somebody like Ashurahara to be his tag team partner. And Jambo had to look for somebody like Taue or Young Tiger Mask to be to be his tag team partner. You know, like a Japanese babyface crew split into two groups, two different factions or something. It was interesting after Choshu's group left, you know. And it seems like it set up the company for years to co- a couple years to come after that. Yeah, if rock. you do it right, you know, a wrestling story and one feud can last a year, right? Mm. Yeah. Or more. More, yeah. Oh, God. 
10 ideally groups. more yeah yeah because i couldn't under- understand when we when we when i first learned when i was a kid abdul uh the, the sheik this is about the detroit michigan the sheik against bobo brazil right mm-hmm. it lasted over 30 years how could mm-hmm. one match last 30 years the one storyline <laughs> one few last over 30 years but when you think about it Riki Choshu against Fujinami lasted over 30 years. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like they just ha- had a one of their masters, masters matches a few years ago, maybe six man or something, but there's right, still, right. it's always something. Uh, it's like a best scene, right? Like a, mm. like a montage clip of your <laughs> Scorpion Deathrock spot or your Dragon, Dragon Sleeper spot, yeah. spot or yeah, the Backbreaker spot to, or your Ricky Lariat spot. It's everything you've already seen, <laughs> you know? They were just playing the hits. I think so. Or just the phrases, you know? <laughs> yeah, parts of the hits. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like all fragments. But it's good. They do the same, you know? That's another thing good about wrestling, you know? Because mm. you want your hero to last forever, you know? And Hanson felt like that. There was never a moment where uh, people, or at least me as a fan, you know, you don't feel like wow, he don't Hansen get pinned, and he no never way. submit, never. He never, quit. Look, he never came off looking like a like he was really beaten down. Yeah, it was another thing I learned from Stan and Brody. You know, you know what you think is worse, getting pinned one to three in the, in the middle of the ring, or you tap out on submission move. Mm-hmm. Both bad though, you know, because it's a complete lose, right? I mean, losing the game, you know. I mean, you mm-hmm. lose, lose completely, you know, losing the match. Different style of loss, though. Yeah, different manner. Both Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, or even Snooker said uh, the tapping out, not a tapping out in any era, but it's like giving up. It was what they're mm-hmm. saying, you know, giving up, you know, to a su- certain submission in the middle of the ring is worse than getting pinned. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the worst, is what they're saying. And I, yeah, truth enough that I've never, I don't remember Stan ever being, you know, submitted to a no. figure four leg lock or Scorpion death lock or, you know, your STF or something like that. You don't remember, do you? I don't know. I, I, I only remember, it. I remember if he would lose, it would be a small, he package? would kick out. No, he would kick out at three point one. Three. Right. Yeah. At the count of three. Right. He he gets up and beat everybody up and leave, right? Yeah, immediately. Right, immediately. right. He does that. He saved his heat immediately. Right. Or small package inside cradle sure. kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or and he would uh complain about real it. Real lame backslide or something, right? Mm-hmm. And he out gets, of nowhere. Then he gets up and starts beating everybody up. <laughs> yeah, and then beats up the fans and leaves, and everybody like, goes home. And happy. it's like, oh, what happened? You know, <laughs> yeah. And then the winner of the match laying down, you know. But he never was taken out of that Stan Hansen the Cowboy character. He, no matter what, win or loss, he was I, always. Stan I Hansen. believe he did at the very end. If you remember, Misawa, no, it was Kobashi Akiyama tag team combination uh, went against Stan and Vader as a team. Uh, Was that a Tokyo Dome? No, it's a Budokan, I believe. Okay. Yeah, the tag team final. It was the only time I can clearly recall that the right hand, you know, right arm, uh, close line, Kobashi actually pinned Stan Hansen one, two, three in the middle of the ring. It was really rare. With close line? Yeah. And he... 
I, I think he beat uh, Stan Hansen in singles, but it wasn't like a, a, a definitive win. It was like a, like you said, I forget what the the finish was, but it wasn't a a definitive, right, right. absolute win. Like in sumo, there's an absolute winner. Right, right. We Both know. chance type, yeah. And so that's maybe the only, one of the only real times that Hansen gave someone a like a, a real win and look how much it meant look how much that yeah. means i think he did that with misawa kobashi and kawada one or two once or twice each and but that's mm-hmm. about it that's about it though i mean among 20 year round with all japan you know wrestling 20 years consecutive i think he only got beat maybe five times altogether that's Amazing. that's huge and no complaint and not selfish just being stan Hansen. Yeah, it never, and he wrestled a variety of different wrestlers while he was there too, and he really could get on with any of them if they were smaller or bigger and they're fast or slow. I mean, and it's amazing, even in the 90s, watching Stan Hansen move. I mean, he's pretty fast for someone his size. He doesn't ex- look like he would move. And somebody who is extremely nearsighted. <laughs> That's scary when I see a dropkick <laughs> or a, a, a lariat coming your or way. Or run, because- run right into you with big shoulder blocks, boom, like, <laughs> and he doesn't have a normal human chest. He has, you know, a Stan Hansen chest. <laughs> and, not, and then he's not a bodybuilder type. Just big. Just big. And, but Like he's good. born to be that way, yeah. And also Japanese people love it. It's like a, he's like a sumo wrestler type. So how did people react when him and uh, Tenryu were a team for a short Oh, while? yeah, that's good. Because none of them, I mean, neither of them are bodybuilder type, you know, but it just does a chop, punch. Elbow, back elbow, stump, elbow drop. This is all easy to understand. It's very Physical masculine contact. wrestling. Yeah, and then the actual contact, you know? You Lots can of hear. contact. Yeah, you can hear. And all big guys, no short guys. All Japan, when you go to all Japan shows, they're all tall, you know? Mm-hmm. Actually, on TV, Great Kabuki didn't look all that tall. But when you see Great Kabuki in person, walking through the aisle, Oh wow, he was a lot taller than I thought. It's a kids will be saying that, you know, mm-hmm. Jumbo, how big he was. I mean, so tall, you know. And six I think, five, six six. Yeah, and even Misawa, he's bigger than any today's wrestlers. Like you know, I'm talking about people like Tanahashi, the Naito, the mm-hmm. you know, yeah, or well, Suama's big, but. Uh, you know, it's Ken, not the same. Ken, yeah, Kento Miyahara and all these guys, Misawa, Jumbo, they were a lot bigger than today's you know main event guys. I can only think maybe Okada is the same height as any of those guys from back. Okada is yeah, but he's a lot lighter. He's only two hundred. He's lean, two hundred fifteen pounds. Yeah, it's like a junior weight. If, that was what if, the junior if, weight was. Back if in that, the day. if that, yeah. Everybody's slender now. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you this: if if this is just complete fantasy, but. If Stan Hansen was to get back into the ring today, do you think he could still ha- command the same power and the same ability to draw people to watch his matches as he did back in the day? Ooh. Oh, the that's it. after then we probably have to talk about dark age of Japanese wrestling, you know? Yeah, yeah that's also right because he so would be many there people theory, left. Yeah. So many wrestling fans pretty much left and checked out, you know? They quit mm. quit watching wrestling altogether. Around 2005, 2006, and so many. A lot of them went to MMA, and uh, they became MMA fan and never, be, you know, came back to wrestling. A lot of wrestling fans actually left altogether. 
Then mm. after that, you know, you have your Tanahashi Shinsuke Nakamura era, that uh, new Noah era, that the different people, different company, different fans. The wrestling business is supported by completely different audience from 10 years ago now. So I'm not sure about Stan, because Stan Hansen might be a wrestler that my parents used to watch. How's that? <clears throat> I see. Yeah. So it- yeah. Because Stan yeah, Hansen I, had the same feeling, you know, during the late 80s into 90s, you know, there was a fans walking up to Stan Hansen saying that the, my father used to, my grandfather used to watch, my grandma used to watch, my father used to watch. Now that the, this girl and a female fan brings her, you know, little kids. So it's like a three generations wrestling fans visiting Stan at the Budokan or something. So he was that kind of star, you know. How would he rate up against the Destroyer in terms of the uh, biggest st- foreign stars in japan because they're a, diff- a little bit of a different generation that came out oh yeah after. very very different generation because but destroyers prime time is late i mean 60s into 70s and he pretty much re- he didn't retire until 1990 but practically he was done like in 1980 you know mm, he was just wrestling like a tag matches yeah and then also uh, just once a year every summer you know mm. and back home he didn't even wrestle he came back every summer like a summer vacation holiday and he worked one tour you know mm. but uh he was also a mask guy you know the destroyer guy and uh, he was on network channel and uh who was a f- first american who actually moved his family to japan he lived in tokyo he had lived in tokyo like seven years straight and then destroyers all his kids three kids went to school in japan they all speak japanese it's all different Stan was always in Gaijin American side, always home run hitting home run batter, right? Mm-hmm. And never changed and never really did, turned baby face. Like you said, you and I talked about tag team, you know, with Stan Hansen, with Jan Baba, and maybe once uh, Stan and Jumbo once, maybe, but they, he never really did that. He always kept himself in Gaijin side, you know, American side. Therefore, occasional tag team with Kawada, occasional tag team with Tenru means a lot more, you know? Yeah. But always stayed in American side. And he never put over Steve Williams. He never put over Danny Spivey. He never put over Johnny Ace. You know, so like, he ne- was not beat. <laughs> it's interesting. He was the I mean, top guy. Yeah, Absolutely. See, a lot of people say a lot of things about the nature of, you know, professional wrestling and how it works. It's all work. And But look, it's work fine, but you, they are not still not going to let you win. <laughs> you know? <laughs> winning is, yeah, winning, losing still means a lot. Even in wrestling, you're not going to, they're not going to let you win. Right? I mean, it it has to mean something or or you have to be put in certain situation or certain ranking or certain program or certain title match you know picture or certain storyline then you might start winning but even in wrestling winning and losing is very you know important and stan hansen or bruiser already too for that matter they did not lose many matches i think it, it tells a lot about wrestling business you know winning and losing is just as important it really speaks to his his legacy even now it's 20 years ago since he's retired and actually yeah, 20 right years before, oh my gosh yeah. yeah this this year i guess would be his uh 20 year uh, yeah since retiring 20 so years actually, older actually 
he was one of the few foreigners or, or all Japan uh, stalwarts to stay with Mrs. Baba after Giant Baba died, actually. Right, right. He was the, he, yeah, and also he understood that the, the order, even the, even Japanese side, that the order dressing in, pol, in the politics, the Stan and and Janice too, but the Stan was actually the only one who could actually walk into Baba's private dressing anytime he can talk to boss directly. Mm. Other other wrestlers couldn't, you know. Mm. Yeah, it it says so much about not just his wrestling status but his status as a, a professional working in japan even if you're yeah i i worked for a corporation in japan i did i, I didn't it wasn't very uh, it's not exciting it, okay. it's quite boring and even still it's to have that kind of uh respect with a, a boss a foreign boss it's it says a lot about their trust in you yeah it really yeah. does there was so, a, that the, the distrust and the feeling of respect was mutual right because mm-hmm. Giant Baba, it, after Stan's New Japan run, real strong three-year run, he even beat Antonio Inoki for NWF title and everything. Giant Baba asked him to come to his company. You know, that much respect. Yeah. Especially in a turbulent time like the 80s. Turbulent time, I mean, yeah. It if was you a got war. The stand, yeah, it's like a... Yeah, fine. Abdul the Butcher, you know, from old Japan to new Japan and Tiger Jeet Singh from new Japan to old Japan. Fine. But uh, it didn't settle until once Stan Hansen moved, you know? Yeah. So his final years with all Japan, he, he never came back. He didn't do, he didn't pull any, you know, retire and then come back for something. He stayed Retired. He makes appearances every now and then. Yeah, but his yeah. final days, or what were those final days? 99, 2000, 2001. And finally retired 2001 without having a retiring match, only ceremony. You know? Was there any reason for that or just? Uh, he said he, he got hurt. Yeah. I see. Yeah. But his knees were always bad. His elbow was always bad, you know? But, and uh, he had been wrestling for almost 20 years at that point, too. Uh, about 18 years. Yeah, more like close to 30 years. 30 years, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then 20 years in Japan alone. Oh, my gosh. You know? I, had there been any uh, other foreign wrestlers who wrestled in Japan for 20 years? Oh, probably Abdul the Butcher and Taiga Jit Singh. Mm. And Vader, you know, in his own you know, way. Mm-hmm. But Stan always worked the entire tour. You know, mm-hmm. if it was five week tour, he'll be there for five weeks. If it's three weeks tour, he'll be there three weeks, not just one week appearance. You know, that he he made seven trips, eight trips a year. You know, back and forth, back and forth, and uh, yeah, it was like uh, it wasn't until Stan and Bruce Brody who, you know, or maybe for Hulk Hogan for, for that matter, that the one wrestler traveled back and forth so much within one one year period. You know. Mill Maskers, the Harry Race, the Nick Bachwink, all these people came like maybe once, twice a year, maybe once, right? Mm-hmm. But Stan, Brody, the the Funks, they came like seven, eight trips. They made seven trips to Japan a year. That's regular, you know? And they were part of the All Japan team. Yeah. They were just as equal parts of uh, yeah, you know, yeah, one side right. of it. What's amazing is, though, they don't even have mic time. No promo, no obvious storylines, no line being fed. They just came in and wrestled. Isn't that amazing? 
it says a lot, like you said, it says a lot about what people want or, or what's needed in wrestling. Yeah, we need to point this out because, you know, if we have today's wrestling audience, like a younger audience, younger wrestling fans out there, and the, the, all the listeners out there, picture or imagine a wrestling show with no promo, no mic time, just matches and subtle storyline, very subtle, you know? And you really have to kind of <laughs> write it yourself or do it yourself, like figure it out in your own head or listen to the commentators. And if you're, yeah. and even so, it's still not much info. And also, really... it's all competitive matches on TV instead of, we never had a squash or, you know, like one against, you know, enhancement talent, you know, against, mm -hmm. you know, against starters. Right? Always name, name wrestlers against name wrestlers. So it was always mm -hmm. competitive on television. And then you never, you could never tell who's going to win, which is important. Different style, different philosophy of pro wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And you, you in Japan, you need, you know, Japanese fans always love local heroes like Inoki, Obaba, Misawa, Jumbo, you know, Muto. But you will always need like a, like a true big name American. Yeah. To kind of balance the uh, the other side. Yeah, I think so. That's why we say uh, Destroyer Dick Pyre was huge, but he was babyface. You know, mm. he joined All Japan Company and he became senior tag team partner of Odo Jan Baba, you know? He uh, was the, uh, yeah, at meaningful. The same, yeah, but at the same time, by doing so, he gave up top spot, though. He will never be heel top challenger again. Mm -hmm. Stan, whereas Stan always stood on the other side. He was the guy hitting home run on the other team, you know? I mean, like a different, I mean, you were working against each other and uh, he was never a Japanese team. They never, classic rival. Yeah, Classic yeah. rival for everyone. Consistency and, uh, yeah, longevity. Yeah. And uh, it always looks like Stan. Yeah. Now, if you had to recommend the patrons any matches they can go and search on YouTube for from the 90s in old Japan with Stan Hansen, are there any that come to mind? Uh, probably, uh, the unification match, you know, 89, April. 89, yeah, Jumbo. Yeah, Jumbo unification match. And there was a time that, uh, uh, I believe it was a June of 1990. Then triple crown champion, Gordy, stand challenge, challenging the title and winning it from Gordy. Uh, Terry Gordy was also really on fire around that time too. Yeah, yeah. But uh, see, uh, right, Terry Gordy beat Jumbo to become Triple Crown champion. Mm -hmm. Then Stan beat Gordy to become crown, uh, Triple, Triple Crown, crown champion. champion. Mm -hmm. And same year or next year, I, I believe it was in the 90 again, that the champion Misawa and Stan beating Misawa to become Triple Crown again champion. That's... Or stand defending Triple Crown against Misawa. But this one Misawa match in July of 1990 is very, very good. Mm. Yeah. And also, 1995 single match against Kawada. It's very good. Very violent. Yeah. But the, that made Kawada almost, almost like capable of beating Kawada. I mean, beating Stan. 
So do you think that gave a lot of credibility to Kawada at when he would go into a yeah, the Yeah, because the match made it look like, you know, Kawada is going to finally beat Stan today. It never happened, mm. though. But uh, it made it look like tonight, this tonight, this match, Kawada might really beat Stan because he was mm. kicking so hard, you know, Stan's face and all that, you know? <laughs> And, Gradually uh, getting closer to uh, winning or becoming a stronger wrestler in general, so it would help. I, th- I think when Kawada go into another match, and fans could easily think, "Well, he did so well against Stan Hansen that yeah. I believe." And also, I think Kawada was the one person who took most Laria from Stan through the years. Oh gosh, don't you think? I mean, I, when you I mean, see the video yeah. clip, when you see a Stan Hansen short video clip doing a Western Laria. It happens to be Kawada, you know, footage mm. always. Yeah, all, but all different eras of Kawada, like young yeah, Jew. Yeah, so, so, he, so he took it so many times. <laughs> that near-sighted, yeah. devastating clothesline from left-hand side. I'm oh, surprised Kawada, he's still Kawada, uh, able to walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's not a wrestler. Kawada is not a wrestler who left without having real retirement match. That's right. Yeah. He did dabble in the dark ages of pro wrestling yeah, yeah. before but leaving. But when he was asked, when Kawada was asked, why he, didn't he have the ceremony or official retirement? You know, and then Kawada's answer was always that, that, that I might do it again. You know, I might change it in my mind. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, yeah. One uh, morning you wake up and you just want to have one more match or something. So... He's not it's retired. like when they ask you when you leave the country, do you want to keep your resident card or, if you, or <laughs> do you want it. to cancel it? Oh, yeah, you're like, you well, maybe know. I'll have no. to go. Right, right. But it's yeah. like you never know. The feeling is there. You know, he thinks he's retired, but when you wake up tomorrow morning, you might want to do you know do it one more time, one last time. Mm. You know, it's he, like that, the passion, that feeling. passion about wrestling. But did Stan Hansen ever have that feeling? Ah, uh, seems I like no. Yeah, he never did. But it was a uh, probably like a respect with like a uh, uh, same feeling that the jumbo had. When you leave, you really leave. Never, I you know, see. No turning back. Don't uh, confuse the fans. Right, and also when Stan was retiring, he wanted to stay home and wanted two boys grown up to be a grown up man. You know, mm. he was gone so much that, that he couldn't coach his son baseball, football, you know, camping, you know, mm. all these things. He wanted to spend time with his sons. And uh, I guess he, that's what he, his family is close, you know. And Did Stan move his family to Japan at one point? Yeah, at one point. I think he was living in the Kawasaki or somewhere for like a few years. Mm-hmm. But he was so private about it, you know. Another yeah. thing, yeah, I think he, you and I talked about it, but if some the listeners out there uh, missed this portion, that I'll, we'll talk about it one more time, that the, how good was Stan's Japanese language, you know? That mm. uh, in, in official interview, he always tell people, like uh, that the journalists, that the only, you know, one thing he regret is that he never really learned Japanese. That was his made I mean, his official answer always i never learned japanese but he is the last mohican of kfab era i told you right mm-hmm. he actually understands japanese language a whole lot more than he can say it you know in the room it was 
no, everybody's Japanese speaking Japanese, and he's the only American in, sitting in the room. He actually understands what's going on. He understands most of it, but he never lets people know about it. <laughs> mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's, you know, he was there for 20 years. I'm sure you're going to hear the same phrases. Yeah. So in, he listens and understands a whole lot more than he can say it. And the reason he tells people he never learned Japanese was that the, he never learned the, the grammar, I mean, proper grammar of it. But words and vocabulary and phrases, he, the way he, he handled himself, he understands most of the, what everybody else is talking about. Yeah, and like you mentioned before, he would even go to the izakaya by himself. Oh, of course. Oh, restaurant, hotels, airport. He, he, he does everything, you know. He get on the cab, taxi, and tell cab driver where to go in Japanese. It's fine, you know. Yeah, and this wasn't a time where English was as it was everywhere like it is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if and especially outside of Tokyo, it's it's not uh, for a foreigner. It's not always simple if you don't know the language. <laughs> yeah, so I think I believe Stan Hansen speaks and understands a whole lot more than he you know we let to believe. <laughs> He's yeah. a very special. Uh, person in the history of Japanese pro wrestling. I think sure. so. I think so. And number one American superstar, I think. Well, Terry Funk big, Dory Funk huge. Uh, yeah, you say you have, you know, Abdul the Butcher, Dick Byer, the, you know, there's so many other stars, but Stan himself really stands up because he probably spent more years in actual ring than other stars being the main event he must have a love for japan and for pro wrestling i guess yeah and he's i never seen him with fork and knife he's the one who used chopsticks all the time stan yeah yeah Yeah. and he the way he you know walk i mean walk into bars and start talking to you know the waitress and bartenders and uh, you know looks like he can actually carry normal conversation you know he really kayfaved me on this you know <laughs> <laughs> but he i'm sure he did for everyone yeah Who knows? yeah he's he, he's, he really speaks now that today's wrestler like kenny omega or davy boy smith jr they write and read japanese that's different mm-hmm. you know different era you know and for kenny's kenny omega's japanese proper grammar too you know he speaks complete sentence. Yeah, he's the first that I heard speak a Japanese that sounds like Japanese. I mean, no uh, accent good. whatsoever, huh? It's yeah, scary. Yeah. It's scary. And his vocabulary I think people is people are shocked when they hear him. They're really shocked. Uh, the pr- pronunciation? Yeah. Exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a Kenny is a, it's a different situation because it's a different era. It's a totally different. Yeah, era. and then different. Yeah, it's like a different different resources. Or oh, a different breed of human being. <laughs> That's true too. Oh, all yeah. together, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get to that someday. But for for now, yeah, Stan Hansen is just. Uh, I don't think anybody really can even match, or probably will come close to matching what he what he did. And he remained all American, you know, all American image. What Japanese people expect from big American smiling, cowboy hat, you know, coke bottle glasses, friendly. And so mean in the ring and strong. I just that guy is a star in Japan. Yeah. He checked all the boxes and every match you would always hear him at the end of the match. Yes. 
That's right. That's right. The big, the big who, the you, the ch- yeah. whatever Actually, it was. he was using the word youth, Y O U T H. He really? said youth. Yeah. I, huh. A lot of Japanese people thought it was a wee, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 And then somebody asked him, what are you saying? And he's like, it's, I'm saying youth. Youth as in young people youth? Yeah, youth. Yeah. Yeah, that was youth. <laughs> I, mean, I don't I never know why. knew that. Yeah, that the, the term, the, the word is youth. Okay, you go back mm-hmm. and w- watch the you know old video. Say he's gonna he's gonna pose and say youth. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I didn't learn ears it. peeled next time. <laughs> yeah, Stan himself told me about that. A lot of people made mistake. I thought it was I even thought it was a few you or few something right. That yeah. the actual word was a youth. 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 Is a football any reason term. or just football oh, term? Okay. Football term, he says. Hmm. I mean, younger generations are always trying to beat previous generation. Any sports, and uh, the the whole concept to be youth is very football and American. He says. But in Japanese pro wrestling, I think it is too to an extent. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, we just talked about the social structure and younger hierarchy. You know, younger wrestler cannot go over senior wrestlers hierarchy and all these things. It's too much of reality in the real world. That's why Stan Hansen thinks you need badass American, no excuse, big guy to beat everybody up. No logic. That's what you need in wrestling. Just force. It's like the weather. It just comes and goes. Yeah, because not for uh, any personal reasons. Otherwise, it looks too much like a real world out there. It's not wrestling anymore. Hmm. Yeah, because can you imagine how many more years it would took you know take for Kawada to beat Jumbo if Jumbo was you know healthy? It would be a different story. It would be a different. It would be yeah, totally like different. somebody like Kenta Kobashi finally beating Jumbo Tsura in single match. It would have taken many more years. And we don't have that time, right? And then also time. because of Jumbo's health, you know, health condition and the health issue, it never took place. None of those single match happened. Oh, maybe once when 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 Kobashi was our opening match guy challenging senior wrestlers. It's a different story, you know. But mm. the orange orange tights, orange tights, Kobashi would be challenging Jumbo. Uh, would be like a very much a big story, you know big program single match but it would take years for Kobashi to actually beat Jumbo mm. Japanese wrestling I like that you know it pays off but you have to have, have patience yeah because Fujinami never really beat Inoki in a single match Riki Choshu did but people don't remember that much Keiji Muto never beat Inoki Chono Hashimoto none of them never beat Inoki in a single match Muto Chono, Hashimoto, they beat Fujinami and Choshu, but it was so close call that the, you're not supposed to remember details. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? That's really hard. That's why Misawa beating Jumbo, the very first single match program, Misawa beating Jumbo was so memorable. You know? Yeah. Like, like you said, it was that shock that you yeah. didn't expect. Right. And not a count out, not a double count out, no DQ. It's the pin one, two, three in the middle of the ring. It has to be that way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I think even in wrestling, we, we came to this conclusion that winning and losing still means something or should mean something. It, sh- it should and it could. It really depends on how you it. It could, yeah, right. It sometimes doesn't. <laughs> 
Sometimes, yeah. It, it, there's so many different factors now, I think. It, mm-hmm. it seems like in Japan it was a little more cut and dried and there was a easier way to go from point A to point B. There's just too many points now because yeah. wrestling's changed. Yeah, so and also the style and the presentation. You know how many ref bump they use with New Japan ring? Mm. You know, that's so American, right? Very much so. Yeah. Um, or, or weapons, using weapons all the time. Right, the or tables. interference of Dick Togo or something, yeah. Sure, yeah. 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 Or, or uh, the managers. Gedo, Gedo, yeah. Very American, though. But new, I mean, today's New Japan audience are used to it, used to it, or they think that's the way wrestling are, you know? Because <laughs> it's been for so long, it's been that, that way, for you so know. Long. Yeah, but me- remember, you know, the four pillar, you know, Misawa's four four guys, Muto's three guys. They never had those interference or referee bumps. Yeah, and look how we look at them now. We look at them in a more pure way. We look at them, uh, you know, we know what wrestling is, but we look at them totally differently than we look at, I don't know, somebody from this age. Not to say it's better or worse. It's just different. Yeah, just different. Yeah. But if, you, if you've been watching only New Japan wrestling, say, last three years, that's the only thing you know. It's the, it's the only way you watch wrestling and the only thing, you know, the, the only method they know. I mean, you know. Oh, God. You know, Misawa, yeah, Misawa's era, they never had interference. They never had referee bumps. No DQ. Although- it double, uh, there was a double count out uh, in right. the 80s. There were a lot of double count Double count out after you beat each other up for 35 minutes, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the match wouldn't stop, and they would wrestle to the back, and then they would have the rematch the next time. Right, right, right. It's, it's because wrestling has to be to be continued forever. Of course. Yeah, forever. Forever and ever. <laughs> yeah. But for Hansen, for Stan Hansen, it was up until 2001. So Yeah, he, he and also I think away. he remained the uh, same, sta- pretty much the same status like a baseball Hall of Fame or baseball legend that the, he comes over occasionally and he doesn't wrestle but he does a talk show or uh, autographs thing or you know or just comes into wrestling show and be a guest commentator or something but still look like Stan Hansen 20 years later like gray hair Stan Hansen thick mustache still Same cowboy hat. still cowboy hat yeah yeah and yeah. a big big smile yeah and he's still big tall too Hmm. Yeah. So I cherish that. I mean, he is like a real living legend. Yeah. We need to uh, be grateful, I suppose. And it's it's so cool now that in 2021, we can access all of this stuff pretty easily. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine like looking for like a VH tape from somebody? Does anybody have this? Today? <laughs> I, I mean, it's almost like you get laughed at. You got to go to the thrift store. Yeah. I mean, everything's out there. It's just, again, it's a different world. Yeah, but I know some of the matches are never converted into digital format. It's still in VHS format. Some of the matches never made it to YouTube. You know? It's amazing. NTV, I hope they, if they hear us, yeah. <laughs> let them out someday. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of good good footage that the people haven't seen, you know? Uh I'd love to just go through NTV's footage and just NTV, one by one. Yeah, Channel 4. Oh, they have all the way back to 1954. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It's like they're sitting to me. That's like a gold mine. Gold, Ricky just... Dozan era, Baba era, Baba Inoki together, together era, and a Destroyer. O- Destroyer era, and early All Japan 70s era, young rookie Jumbo Tsuruta era. <laughs> oh, God. That's wow. 
all those for the last 40, 50 years of it. Not all of it, because sometimes they tape the over existing tape, you know? So you, therefore they erase uh, it. Yeah. You know, one inch oh, tape or shame. three quarter inch tape, you know, those, those uh, analog. analog tapes. Yeah. Because all these analog tapes, old film, need to be converted into digital format. Somebody has to, you know, somebody has to do it. Hmm. Maybe someday. New Japan World don't have all the footage either, you know? There are more. Even though, because uh, TV Asahi has it still? Uh, yeah, TV Asahi and New Japan working together on this, so I don't think they have the licensing problems. But the people, like individually, people like Killer Khan, when he was asked uh, to be, you know, to join this, he declined. Don't put my match in there. I'm not interested. In it. So people, some people like that. And when they asked Naoya Ogawa, his price tag was way too big. So let's not mm. let's not have him in there. But sometimes, if you remember, young Nobuhiko Takada, like a young like a, in Inoki's faction, you know, and uh, yeah. Fujiwara being babyface underneath Inoki or something, those matches need to be discovered. Hmm. Yeah. Or young, only young the... Akira Maeda, something like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or even the footage of some of those um, ma- uh, some of those wrestlers that you mentioned, like Maeda or Takara, when they were in the, in the States. Right. Or just using, doing a traditional pro wrestling instead of... Yeah. Like a MMA style, you know? Right. Like Maeda was doing a... It, you know, typical pro wrestling. Yeah, the drop kicking and, and the double arm suplexing instead of mm-hmm. nasty kicking it, you know? Yeah. So, or things like Akira Maeda against people like Big John Stud or Maeda, mm-hmm. Akira Maeda against Hulk Hogan single match, Akira mm-hmm. Maeda against Andrew the Giant single match, different in style. Yeah. Andrew, uh, Adrian Adanis against Akira Maeda. Dick Murdoch against Akira Maeda single. They all exist out there, you know, somewhere. We'll find them someday. <laughs> I hope someday. Yeah. But, uh, and it is uh, the Japanese fans, like older fans in the 60s and in the 50s and 60s. Some of them have it at home. <laughs> wow. at, their, at their home, you know. It's like uh, this, some, they should turn this into a reality TV show where somebody's going on the lookout for all the classic lost pro rest tapes. And the entire house is like wrestling museum or something. Yeah. <laughs> some, or some, it's like hoarders. <laughs> it's just stacked oh, to the actually, top. Rossi's house is like that too. Oh, yeah? Rossi Ogawa's just house. filled with everything? Uh, upstairs, he lives in a house house instead of apartment. Mm-hmm. He His second floor upstairs of the house is his museum. Wow. <laughs> I mean, like... In Kinshu of all places. Masks. Too. You know, he's a Lucha fan. Mm-hmm. So he has like a 500, 600 masks. Not used. Oh, that's right about Miss Baba too, isn't it? Oh she yeah, he, she, she was a male maskers fan, and somewhat they misplaced that, and the, nobody can find Mrs. Baba's male maskers masks. I don't know what happened. Did she a, have thousands? Yeah, and also all the old giant Baba's in the historical ring costume. Wasn't that on display a few years ago in Tokyo? All, all they show was one gown, one costume, and one ring boots. There are uh, dozens of ring boots that he stopped using. Dozens hmm. of short trunks, you know, and the knee pads and socks or different kind of kimono gown that he used. Hmm. It's, it's somewhere. Very interesting. Yeah. Or the, 
that the international tag team championship belt that nobody knew existed is a second set. <laughs> ah, yeah. Because the first set they still, yeah, they still use like, it, a, like yeah? antique, you know. It's like a, the very small belt. Lost. Ty- yeah. It's go. Oh, it's good. So that's lost for forever, or I don't know. It's like a, there's a only um, Mrs. Baba's nephew knows about. <laughs> there are wow. a lot of costumes. Yeah, costumes, or even. Even Giant Papa's regular clothing, like you know, like a sports blazer, sports coat, like a huge jacket, that can be displayed. You know? Sure. Yeah. I mean, seven feet four Japanese person wearing some kind of size sixteen shoes, they should all you know show it. Don't you think? I think so. I'd like yeah. to see it. Yeah. Like a memorial museum, Giant Baba or something. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. people can go and see. Yeah. Inoki should have his museum too soon. You know. Mm. Yeah, but Inoki keep giving it away, so he doesn't have anything. I know. I see. I mean, all the costume, all the trunks he used to wear, uh, the socks, or even uh, worn ring worn dressing boots. He keep giving it away, you know. Mm. And uh, yeah, but Mrs. Baba pretty much kept it, so it's somewhere out there, somewhere, yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Who knows. Yeah, it's interesting because some of the old championship belt exists somewhere, you know? Yeah. That'll be a mission or adventure for another person yeah, someday. Someday, yeah. I love someday. championship belt, yeah. All right. Yeah. Are we doing good? I think we're going to wrap it up now. That's Stan Hansen. That's we between this episode and our first episode on him. I think we covered a great good. portion of his great career. Portion. Okay, good. We didn't really talk about his good matches. Or the the character character, but the, I was lucky enough to sit down with Stan a number of occasions. You know, when Bruiser Brody died, he did interview. I did interview with Stan. When jump, you know, when Baba died, I had to go, you know, to Stan's place and then just have a long two hour interview. When Jumbo died, I again had to do the interview. And when Stan Hansen himself retired, I went over to Tokyo Dome Hotel and did the two hour interview. It's all in cassette tape. I still have it. Yeah, it's in your, uh, in, I think you showed me the picture. There's so many different cassette tapes of not just Stan Hansen, <laughs> but everybody. Yeah, the Korgach, Abdul the Butcher, or even Triple H, Road Warrior Hawk. Oh, Hogan so Brody. Hogan Brody, yeah, yeah. I have a Korgach, one hour tape. So I wow. would love to make a montage movie maybe out of this. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I was thinking because there's a one hour interview tape, my conversation with Hana Kimura, too. I'm going to do something about it. Mm. You know, one hour conversation, shoot conversation with her voice when she was 19. And I just looked back and listened to it about a week ago that what she was saying still makes sense today. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. The way she, she- wanted to be wrestler what she wanted to be and how she want to be and what she wants to accomplish, how she look at the world, how she relates to her mother and all, all kinds. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, how she, she knew she saw what she was going to do. Uh, the, the presence that she had just at 19. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, I knew she was going to be something. I mean, this, the way she left this world, the tragedy, of course, but mm. 
if not that, she was so special and she was going to places and mm. probably become bigger star than we can possibly imagine, you know? I mean, it's proof by just Terrace House alone. It was only a couple months. And that was a, it became huge. Yeah, the show huge. Itself. yeah, right, right. And she was a big part of that uh, when it, when it was. And she that. was just being healed in a work situation, and people believed the reality show was real. I mean, how stupid can people be? I mean, watch Amazing. other reality show, right? There's a heel in the house, of course. And then hmm. Hana was being healed because he was a wrestler, and the director told her to be healed. I mean, you know, it's just nothing to reality show. It's just scripted, you know. But people believed she was nasty or something, and you know, and, uh, yeah, posting nasty comments, and mm. that uh, it was beginning of pandemic era, and everybody was home. There were more comments on Twitters than usual, and Hannah was home all day. She was answering directly, answering those comments. Never should done that, you know. If you hear back from the direct, I mean, this person, she answered my comment. Then you get on and then write again, something nasty, you know? A feedback loop. Just oh, yeah, and then hundreds of comments all day, yeah. you know? And all by herself at her apartment. And she only moved into this that apartment maybe like four or five months you know previously. It was the first time she got out of you know her mother's house and and it was the first time Hannah got her own apartment was decorating her own new apartment and was making her own castle and just it was um, it just it was uh, I can't think oh God yeah yeah. Well, it's just amazing because Stan Hansen had lived and worked in a completely different environment than Hanakimura had to. Yeah, completely yeah. different. Um, so it's it's hard to even. Yeah, I, it's all the truth, but it's all it's also what makes Stan Hansen so special. But because what impact he made during his time in a different period, and and these are things I think I I believe that uh, we are responsible to you know keep Stan Hansen's legacy you know and then hand it to younger generations wrestling audience that because probably wrestling magazine or internet wrestling web magazine type will never really acknowledge previous superstars you know unless it's you know it's a part of the the system if there's or a connection that makes WWE sense Hall of Fame or something like that yeah, yeah but, but for um, Stan Hansen his home ground his franchise, his home ring was in Japan, and he spends, you know, 25 years active in Japan. And, and, and things that today's wrestling fans need to learn about. You know, and I think it's a, you and my, my responsibility to hand this story down to the next generation. I really believe that. Just like Stan Hansen would work with guys like Kawada and Misawa. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's the same, uh, same motion. Yeah. Same gesture. Yeah, I think so. And also, the more you know uh, history, the better understanding of the big picture. You know. Yeah, I mean, when I I, I'm, I grew up in the states, I grew up over here. I have a different. I grew up with a different glimpse of what's going on. But now that we're older, the now that we have a different kind of technology as things go on, we can get the other glimpses, or we can talk to other people who had an opposite glimpse, and we can get the full picture. Yeah, bigger picture, precisely. Yeah. 
Okay, so Fumisan, what is your Twitter handle and Facebook? Oh, okay, my Twitter handle. Contact you. Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O. Fumihiko Dayo on Twitter, or you can just find me, Fumisaito, on Facebook. When you, uh, uh, to be, be friend, friended, be friend. Okay, what's the word oh, on Facebook? To befriend you, to befriend yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> right, right. Uh, I'd like you to send me message first, so I can uh, add you as a as a friend. Yeah. Yeah, and on Twitter, I'm at Justin M Nipper K N I P P E R. And so that'll do it. So that is our series on Stan Hansen. I hope you enjoyed their episode last week as well. Um, so we're going to end it for now. And I'm yeah. going to give now it to you. You and I will have more regular programming. Let's do it every week. I'm sorry. You yes. know, that, uh, I had to skip a couple weeks. But uh, yeah, uh, but, um, I think we have a lot to share. Yeah, we'll have some exciting new topics coming up for you over the next few weeks. So All right. Uh, for Fumi, I'm Justin, and Fumi, can you take it away? Okay, so long from Tokyo. See you next time.